he made a bowl for like a little pop-up at his house. That was amazing. Um, I think it's cool because there are so many people at home that are making these craft bowls. Like there's a Kodawati movement um, with people in their homes, not necessarily in shops. Yep. And so there's like so many bowls that are being made that you wouldn't be able to experience unless like you, they're hosting a pop-up at their actual house. Um, but I think that's like a really, one of the better bowls I've had recently was just out of someone's house, which is like that's, really cool. And that's a really good point. Like there's a, there's a relatively high possibility that the best bowl in America is made being made right now in somebody's house and nobody even gets to taste it. Like, Hey everybody, welcome back to The Way Ramen Podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Tim and Eric, two ramen heads who both work at ramen shops here in the US. Tim, who is much better known online as Hella Ramen, works at Neighborhood Ramen, a craft ramen shop in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Eric Kyoto, who works at Yumeo Katare, a Jiro-inspired ramen shop in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that also has locations all throughout Japan as well. Both Tim and Eric are very passionate about making ramen, and originally when I thought of this podcast idea, I thought it might be interesting to talk to them about their experiences working at ramen shops in the US, which we did, but our conversation naturally drifted into standard ramen nerd talk about making ramen, theories about ramen, what's great about ramen. Anyways, I had a blast recording this episode, and I was super inspired after it to make some ramen of my own. So without further ado, here is Hella Ramen and Kyoto on the Way Ramen podcast. Enjoy. So thank you guys for coming on. I, I've been I came up with this idea in the shower, and I was like, oh man, it'd be super cool to get a podcast episode with, you know, you, I think both of you guys. I, I think it was you, Eric, that asked to be on the podcast like a long, long time ago. I can't remember. I got I got a lot of people that asked, but I vaguely remember that you asked about it because you were starting at Yume. But I was like, man, it'd be cool to get a couple of people that are working at shops now um, and just talk to them what their experiences are like. And you guys are also very passionate about making ramen too, so kind of get you guys uh takes on that as well so i guess if we start off would you introduce yourself and so i guess this is a podcast roundtable with two people that are working currently in ramen shops um specifically neighborhood and yume but you guys can go ahead and introduce yourselves and say what shop you guys are working at tim you want to start us off <laughs> sure hey guys my name is tim i work over at neighborhood ramen in philadelphia and so I've been working with them for about almost two years. And so I've been in the industry for almost about three to four years at this point. Started off as a dishwasher. And then I just recently uh, got moved up to a, a line cook position over our neighborhood. And so now I'm trying to gain those skills and learn and grow as much as I can within the ramen game. And uh, my name is Eric Kyoto, and I am the noodle maker at Umeo Katare in Boston. And I also start off as a dishwasher, moved up to host, and uh, as of February, started making noodles at the shop. And you guys are both really young. Like, if you guys don't mind, like, how, how old are you guys? 23. Jeez. I'm 26. You guys are babies. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, cool. So I guess we can start with the beginning. Like, how did you guys get into ramen? Because, I mean... It's still kind of like a niche hobby, you know, for us outside of Japan. Even making ramen in Japan is still a hobby, a niche hobby. But how did you guys get into it? So I remember a lot of people have been on the podcast recently that have been talking about like Naruto. Like that's what got them into like ramen. It was super cool to see, Ryan, that you did a video about like the Naruto Uzumaki, like Ichiraku ramen. <laughs> yeah. Because um, when, when Naruto was airing, I was watching that like every Thursday night. 
Um, and so anytime that a new episode would come on, I would always be eating instant ramen. <laughs> and so it was just kind of like a ritual at that point for like a new episode equals ramen. So that's how I got like, you know, kind of started with it. I had only had like instant ramen until like I had my first shop in like my local area. Um, and then afterwards, I was transitioning out of, um, I was doing web design before and like helping like high school students like build business plans and whatnot. But then um, I just didn't enjoy the work that I was doing that I thought was going to be like my passion in high school. Like I wanted to really go into business. I wanted to do web design. And then when I got to that industry, I just like wasn't happy and I wasn't feeling it. And so I was kind of like confused and like, when you're confused, you try to like just find something to like kind of occupy your mind. So I thought maybe just becoming going into food because I love food. So the only position that I would be able to take at a restaurant was like a dishwasher. And so that's how I kind of got started. Dishwashed all over the place. And then um, I decided I wanted to work with like ramen specifically just because I had like a huge passion for it early on. And then uh, I got the like opportunity because the izakai that I was working for was serving ramen and it wasn't, I wasn't happy with the like ramen that they were serving. It was like, uh, like a box broth that they would like kind of just dress up. Uh, and it just like, wasn't the type of learning that I was trying to like do for myself. Uh, one of the bartenders there, who's now the owner of neighborhood ramen, she approached me because she heard that I was like super into it. And she said to me, like, hey, like, I heard you're, like, super into ramen. Do you want to, like, work for us? My boyfriend and I are going to open up a shop. And uh, I would love for you to, like, work for us. And so I said to her, like, absolutely, like, sign me up. Just let me know whenever you guys are ready. And then on January 22nd, 2019, is when I was able to, like, help them out with, like, the soft opening to, like, the grand opening. And so we've been there since, like, day one. Nice. Journeyman dishwasher into a line cook. Awesome. What about you, Eric? How'd you get into uh, it? Yeah, for me, I started in 2017 after I graduated from college. Uh, I moved to Pittsburgh after I graduated and uh, I had a few friends living there, but I was living on my own, my own apartment. And um, something that I started doing uh, when I first moved in by myself was uh, making a lot of soup, a lot of stocks. It's something that my family did every weekend. So I was, it was a tradition that I wanted to continue. Um, it was just like a fun activity just to pass the time on Sunday. Um, but I found that I was, I always had excess, excess stock that I didn't know what to use. Like I didn't know what to use it for. So naturally I was just like researching. I liked ramen. I had been to Japan before. I actually studied Japanese for in high school and in college a little bit. So I figured I would, you know, try and take the stock that I was making and turn into ramen. Um, the first ramen that I made was atrocious because I, I just used the normal chicken stock and I had like a really, I didn't even, I mean, normally with my stocks, I would just season them, but uh, I had never made a tare. So I just basically got some kikoman and just threw it up in my, my chicken stock. Uh, and so that wasn't very great. And I mean, the subsequent attempts weren't great as well, but um, I kept on trying and I, you know, did some research, like went to the usual places, like looked up Ramen Lord and uh, a lot of the serious eat stuff. Um, and then uh, I did that for about two years um, before I moved to Boston last year. And um, 
I actually had been uh, to the shop to Yume uh, a few times before I started working there. Uh, it was actually, I, I visited mostly when I was living in Pittsburgh and visiting my friend who lived in Boston. He actually lived like right around the corner from the restaurant. And so I tried the ramen a few times. And once I moved here, I actually ended up moving across the street from the restaurant. <laughs> I currently live there right now. Actually, if, I mean, you can't see out my window, but it's literally a stone's throw from my, <laughs> my apartment. So I'm pretty much between my apartment and there most of the time. Um, but it's cool because I started making ramen. And uh, when I first went to Yume, a big part of the restaurant is uh, sharing your dreams. It's like the concept of the restaurant is sharing your dreams. And when I first went there, I shared my dream, which was to make ramen from scratch um, from home. And so I started, you know, again, through, I mean, but before moving to Boston, uh, again, I was just making a bunch of different bowls. And then once I got to Boston, I posted my first bowl from my apartment. I tagged Yume and uh, they reached out to me. Uh, Jake, who's the chef at Yume, reached out to me. And, you know, it pretty much went from there. I interviewed and got the job and pretty much just started dishwashing and then gradually got into noodle making um, just by working at the restaurant. So it's pretty much yeah. how I got to where I'm at. And Eric, you actually have like a, a regular job too. And this is just like out of passion. You're doing this on your off hours of your regular job. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I work full time uh, as a QA, I guess you could call it or generic business analyst title. Um, so I do that during the day. And then uh, at night, I'm mainly making noodles. Um, when I first worked at Yume, starting in October of last year, I was working shifts. Um, so I worked at Yume. And then I also worked at a sister restaurant, which makes udon, which is a, a down the street. So Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I was at Yume. And then Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I was at the udon shop. So I was working six days a week at night. Uh, uh, I mean, gradually, I started working uh, more at the ramen shop, and I really got into making noodles um, around when COVID hit, actually. Uh, so my scheduling has been kind of wonky there. But uh, yeah, I do work too. I mean, technically, you made a part-time job, but I look it, at it as a full-time job. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. Could you guys explain, like, what's, I thought what's interesting about both of you guys too is there's a lot of ramen shops in America. A lot of them aren't making everything from scratch and stuff, but you guys both ended up in places that they're kind of doing it, you know, like you're making noodles there, Eric. And, you know, I know neighborhood, the neighborhood guys are doing everything pretty, you know, legit too. So can you, can you guys talk about like that? Like what it's like working at these shops? Cause I'm sure you guys have been to other shops where there probably are, I guess, Tim, you said you you worked at a shop too in the past that just is kind of reheating things and kind of spicing it up a little bit. Like what makes your guys shops different than all the, all of these other kind of like more generic shops out there? I think with like neighborhood specifically, like, uh, like chef Jesse, uh, chef owner, Jesse of neighborhood, like he goes out with the co-owner Lindsay to Japan every year. Uh, I mean like 2020, the exception, but, every year they're going out to japan and they're like trying more ramen i'm sure like a lot of the people in the ramen community have heard like keizo say you know like to get really good at ramen you have to eat a lot of ramen and so japan i mean yeah it's like bowls out there can really like point you in a direction of like where you want to go with the with like your style and like what you like and what you dislike so just having um more understanding of like what's out there 
can can also kind of redefine your your bowl. Also, like Jesse has been in the industry for over 15 years, 20 years maybe. And he started like working in the industry when he was like 14. So he has all of these like like shoulders to stand on in terms of like, I know how these ingredients work and like what's gonna uh, make a difference in the bowl that I'm about to push out to people. So he's like, he has all this industry knowledge that also kind of like makes a, a ramen bowl like kind of like his, his own identity. And so we do like, we do the broths over at the shop. It's like huge pots that we're like carrying around. And it's just, he, he cares more about like the components that go into the ramen as well. A lot of the shops that have been talked about a lot on like this podcast, um, it's either like you're, you're going just for like the money because like ramen is popular. So you want to build a shop that's going to be like generating revenue. But uh, we're also trying to like push um, like steel and show you like the lighter broths. And so like Jesse really loves show you ramen and that's the one that he identifies with like the most. Um, but then he also has fun by like doing a lot of specials as well. So he'll like push out specials whenever we do have the time when especially like during the summer when like we're like really slow, we'll try to like push out a bunch of different specials that he'll like bring the knowledge back from those uh, different restaurants that he's been working at. Um, and that's, that's really interesting to see because it's not a special that we're like, Oh, here's like a style of ramen in Japan that we're trying to emulate. It's more of like, here's a bunch of ingredients that I, th- I think are really sick together. And yeah. let me push this out to people and let them try it out. So the shio and show you though, I think is the biggest differentiator because a lot of the shops in like the area of Philly is just more of like tonkotsu broths. Mm. And so that's a lot of like the American palate as well. It's just like, I want that rich, like tonkotsu. Like I want to just feel like I can take a really nice long nap after <laughs> that type of broth. And like, we're trying to introduce the, like even with, when we're serving kits right now, um, we don't have like a tonkotsu or we don't have a python that we're doing in our kits. So Everybody who's getting like take home ramen right now is, from our shop is basically trying out these clear soups and it's kind of changing up the market in our area. Cool. How is, how, how is like the Philly ramen scene? Like how, like how, you've lived there your whole life. I'm assuming like you grew up there in Philly and stuff. No, I'm actually oh. from California. Oh, okay. So, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was born Philly and raised in the Bay area. And okay. then I moved out to Philly in 2015 to go to, um, to go to college out here. So. Ah, okay. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. But have you like, it is still kind of like, um, tonkotsu centric kind of like standard. Like, yeah. More when I came out here, it was a lot more tonkotsu centric. I mean, even myself, when I was starting to get like interested in ramen, most like, like a lot of the people yeah. in our community, you know, start off with like ramen Lord's recipes, ramen yep. Lord's super into miso, which can be like that really gray line of like Chintan Python area. And then um, that's when like after meeting like Jesse and Lindsay and working at neighborhood, I like had a much better, like deeper appreciation for like clear soups and just very nice light soups, but like with a, with like a rich kind of uh, with, with a rich vibe to it as well. Nice. What about you, May Eric? What what makes that place special? Oh man. Uh, There's a lot of things. I mean, 
with uh, just talking in terms of ramen, um, so I actually told my sensei that I wouldn't say this word on the podcast. Uh, so we are very, I'm very careful in the shop about not using the word jiro. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we're technically a jiro inspired shop. Um, yeah. But like the way that Jake says, or the way that Jake looks at our ramen is we make, we don't make jiro ramen, we make yumeo katare ramen. Um, mm-hmm. And so like for our ramen in particular, I think what makes it unique is the fact that well, for one, we only make one bowl. Um, we don't have any, uh, we don't have variety in terms of like the different ramen, like in terms of different ramen that we serve or like appetizers or those sort of things. We only focus on one uh, bowl of ramen. Um, they make the noodles in-house. And actually I've seen a lot of other shops that have started to, you know, kind of jump on the in-house noodle train, um, like, specific, like specifically Black Dynasty ramen i've talked to the guy who makes the noodles there um so it's cool to see that but i think that our noodles are what makes us pretty different um uh again the soup in terms of the soup we do like a sensory soup or forever soup i don't know the proper term for it i think it's like yobi modoshi which uh, a lot of places will make the soup and then they will chill it overnight and then reheat it the following day but we're constantly making soup um, so if you come into the shop and you look behind the counter, you'll see a giant uh, soup pot on the right burner. And that pot is essentially continuously making soup. Um, and then once that soup is ready or that stock is ready, it's moved over to a smaller pot that is then served um, to customers. Um, so that's a rather unique thing because you have to have a high enough volume where the soup is um you know, where there's enough turnover of the soup so that it doesn't uh, go bad. Um, so that's a fairly unique thing. And I think it can probably be done with shops where, again, you're only serving one bowl and you're not dealing with different kinds of soup. Um, so that's a fairly unique thing that I haven't really seen at many other restaurants in the U.S. in particular that we do. Um, and aside from the ramen, what makes the place unique is, again, the concept of the restaurant. If you come to the restaurant, um, you'll be greeted by a host before you come inside. And they ascend, they'll say, they'll give like a concept speech. And what we say is essentially, we're not a ramen shop, but we are a dream workshop. And what that essentially means is the ramen is what we make, but we make the ramen because we want to create a space where people can share dreams and help other people achieve their dreams. And so it's more focused on the concept of the restaurant rather than the ramen itself. And so that's just another thing that I find to be pretty unique. I think when I first started working at Yume, again, I was very focused on the ramen. Um, but over time, the bowl, of, uh, the bowl of ramen itself has sort of changed in my mind, where I look at it as, um, again, like continually improving and um, focusing on like my dreams and trying to achieve those. And my dream right now at the shop is to, um, is to uh, again, make better noodles, improve on making better noodles and focus in on that. Um, so I've kind of made some changes to how I'm approaching that. Um, and then again, another thing about the restaurant, aside from the ramen that might make us a little bit different is um, we have like uh, shude and chode. So we kind of operate as like a, tr- I'd say like a more traditional, like Japanese ramen shop where we have a pre and post shift uh, meeting called Shude and Chode. 
or sorry, chode being the pre-shift and shude being the post-shift. And so before we actually start service, we um, we basically share what our dreams are for the day, for the month, and for the year. Um, so we'll usually set like a daily goal during shift on what we want to accomplish. And then shude is a time that we reflect on our goals for that shift. Um, so again, it's very goal oriented, which is very interesting. Um, UMA is like a community of people, like everyone who works there is kind of a part of a family. So I feel like it's a little different from other restaurants because it's so community focused. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen some videos. I've seen some videos of that shop on YouTube. There's people that go and then they kind of film themselves eating the the, the ramen and saying their dreams and stuff. Did you know about Cheeto style ramen before you started working there, or was it something that you learned about while there? <laughs> yeah. So actually, it's really interesting you mentioned that because my first introduction to ramen, I mean, was instant ramen. But when my, when I went to Japan, my favorite restaurant was uh, Yoshimuriya. Uh, in mm. Yokohama, the EAK style EAK, ramen. Yeah. And I was looking in the United States. So when I came back, uh, a lot of the ramen I was making in the beginning, aside from my shoyu, uh, like chintan ramens, was uh, like a fatty, like more savory uh, ramen. And I couldn't find it uh, for the most part. Uh, so when I came to Yume Okatade and I had the ramen for the first time, I was like, this, this is it. This is <laughs> This is what I remember. Uh, yeah. Like the first bowl I had was a very, I mean, small, like a small bowl or a regular bowl being like 200 grams of noodles. Uh, and, <laughs> so. and, uh, and like, yes, I, that was my first bowl. And at UMA, they have a grading scale, uh, essentially based on like your level of completion of the bowl, you'll get a different like grade or rating. Um, and so I got a good job, which is essentially you finish the noodles and the bean sprouts, but you leave the soup left over. Um, the following day, I wanted to get a perfect, which is finishing everything in the bowl. So I actually ordered, a, instead of a two-piece ramen, I ordered a five-piece ramen. And then I ordered extra noodles and uh, mashi mashi, or mashi <laughs> veg vegetables, yeah. which is like a pretty big mound. And I got the perfect during the my, my second time, which was the next day I actually went in to eat that bowl. And I stumbled, I shared my dream, which was like, basically was to get a perfect and to take a nap after <laughs> eating the bowl. And then I stumbled out of the restaurant uh, to my friend's apartment. And then I took off the rest of the day uh, from work and I just napped and tried to sleep it off. I woke up and I was still full after that. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, I didn't know about Jiro, uh, Jiro ramen before, um, before working or before I went to Yume. Oh, I, I know see, it I existed. Um, it's not a very popular style. I actually don't know of many Jito uh, inspired shops in the US. I mean, there are a few. But I feel like that might be the only one. I mean, someone else can correct uh, me Kabe, if they've seen one. Kabe Tomo in New York City is a Jito inspired shop, I think. And then there's one out in California that uh, there's a pop up, I think, Buta Yama. Uh, it was at Ramen Lab. I think they're another That's one. That's right. I've seen that one on, on the Ramen Lab uh, Instagram. Yeah, there are a few out there. I've actually never tried, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think, yeah, another, I mean, the ramen's interesting because the first time you go, it's very, it's pretty intimidating, the bowl itself. And then over time, uh, it sort of 
you know, you eat it more and more and more. And the more that you eat it, the stronger the obsession for it becomes <laughs> essentially. And like I went from eating 200 grams to now eating like average 350 grams, <laughs> like mashi mashi. So it's like, you know, it's a constant evolution, I guess. The, the did, did anybody tag you on that Taishokin challenge? The, the Tsukimen Taishokin challenge? Uh, that yeah. I did that. I actually did that on stream. I did it on Twitch. Um, <laughs> I did the 640 challenge. I think was that it no was problem for you? Uh, it was fine. I actually, <laughs> so during the challenge, I did the 640 and then I had uh, like as a special, uh, I guess like a, what, what's the, what, what would you call it? A, uh, as like a surprise for the, the stream, I tried to eat another <laughs> 180 grams of noodles and then I tapped out uh, at a certain point. I was just tired uh, of eating noodles on stream. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I did do it. Yeah. I actually, I challenged a few people. Uh, I, I mean, you guys know who you are. You guys have to do it. <laughs> They're probably watching. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Definitely watching. Well, I was, I was like one of the first people to be tagged and I just like tapped out instantly before I've been trying. So give you guys credit. Tim, did you do it too? I feel like you did it too, right? I failed. Oh, you, you I tried had it. like uh, I had like one bite. I did it on Twitch as well, and then uh, <laughs> every it was like one bite left, I think. But like I just couldn't take another bite. Otherwise, I would have I would have embarrassed myself even more. Not just like failing, but I would have embarrassed myself even more yeah, yeah. on that stream. Just a little bit more back to Yumi Okatare. Um, have, what was like the most interesting thing you guys you've seen there? Like a dream that someone has said, or uh, yeah. something that. Yeah, it's like it's a pretty common question. I'd say for the most part, you get like they're actually. So it's funny because when I said my dream, I thought that I was special. Like I was like, oh, I'm gonna make ramen from home, and then I worked there, and I'm like, wow, so many people are wanting to make ramen from home. That's <laughs> Interesting. Most, that's the really popular one, actually. Uh, really? Get, wow. Yeah, you get that. You get um, you know, you get a lot of people who it really. It's funny because it depends on the time of the year. So like, uh, as the new year uh pot like as you know january comes along you get a lot of people who are like i want to exercise uh, uh or like i want to run like five miles a day i'm like in you know boston that's uh you got to run backwards because it's windy and snowy <laughs> uh but i'd say like the most interesting one um man uh i can tell you like a lot they're like people i mean i'm trying to think of one that really sticks out to me um there, oh, there is one where uh, someone, so the, the one that I think is the funniest dream is uh, every, so every shift, Jake will give a concept speech and his dream, uh, one of his dreams was he wants someone to drive a Ferrari to the, or drive a Ferrari to the restaurant, pick him up, drive him around, and then bring him back to Yume to eat ramen, but he doesn't want to cook it. He wants it made for him. Uh -huh. That dream came true like two a while ago like a year ago or two years ago and so now he's changed it where he's like instead of a ferrari i want to be driven in a lamborghini oh, or a McLaren, something, which yeah. is cool um but yeah i mean there's like a lot of sentimental ones too like uh i believe i wasn't here for it but it was oh it was a long time ago where i think someone like they were dating at the time and then they got engaged and then they got married like and they're all sh they're sharing their dreams like as a series of updates on their life um, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, honestly, it was so long ago too. <laughs> so like eight months ago, I, I don't know. We got <laughs> a lot of interesting dreams. I'm not sure like one stands out in particular though. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
Uh, huh. I can imagine you guys probably every, I mean, every single person who comes in has to say something. So uh, it's not, it's a, it's actually voluntary. Like people, oh, really? I, yeah, I thought yeah. everybody had, I thought that was part of the requirement to eat there. You have to like be able to like say your dream and eat it. And then, no, no, it's highly recommended. Uh, <laughs> it's like in the U S it's like pretty, it's, it can be kind of intimidating, honestly. Like for me, I'm not like the one to stand up and like share my dreams normally, at least like when I first went there. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of people, it can be semi, it can be pretty intimidating, but, um, yeah, I know in Japan, though, there are shops in Japan too, and I believe they use like a bell. So like, if you want to share, you just click, you just tap on the bell and then uh-huh. announce your dream in the, uh, in our shop, people will get a flag so that we know that they're a dreamer. And then once they're done, we turn off the music and then they stand up and share their dreams. So that can be pretty intimidating for someone who's Uh not used to doing that but um actually now i think about it one of the coolest dreams was a uh, someone on instagram who i follow her name is amy she came in and she's generally pretty she's she's pretty introverted um and she shared that her dream was to be like more uh outgoing and to like be more expressive of her self like in terms of what she you know what her dreams are and so every subsequent time that she's been in the shop, um, you know, she's like very, po- she's very, very positive naturally, but she's, you know, more into like sharing her dreams. And she actually runs an Instagram account where she um, called shared kindness loudly, where she just like shares her thoughts on like, you know, what her dreams are. And um, it's pretty cool to see though, like how she sort of evolved with her social media. It's pretty it's oh. cool. Yeah. It's nice. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys are both in the kitchen now. Like, what have you guys learned since getting into the kitchen? I know that Tim, you're you just recently got in, but have you guys learned what what kind of things have you like? Oh wow, I didn't think about that prior to coming into the kitchen and cooking in a restaurant. Like, what kind of things have you guys learned about this experience so far? Tim, you can start. <laughs> and I don't know, man. There's just there's those, there's so much mm-hmm. because, like. When 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 I joined the restaurant industry, I was thinking I was just gonna be a dishwasher, and like your dream head, was to be a dishwasher, like that was no, that's your Yumi Okatari dream. No, my dream was I don't know what my dream was at that time. Like it uh, was just kind of like a random decision, but like I knew I just wanted to cook food just because I I like food. So I knew I was gonna like have to grind for it, but like dishwashers don't just like wash dishes. And that's like the first thing is that when you're a dishwasher, there's like so many more things that are involved. Like you have to be organized. And this, this like leads up to like cooking because that's why so many, like so many great chefs, they start off as a dishwasher because you like have to organize everything. Um, You have to like, make sure like uh, you're staying on top of your time. You need to make sure you're like very like organized and then at the same time too, like if you can in your mind, like probably save like somebody five steps, if you're saving a line cook five steps to get to their nine pan uh, and then they're making that same trip like a hundred times a, a night, you just save them 500 steps, you know? So it's like little things that you start picking up on that can make a huge difference within your team environment. Uh, and so another thing too, is just like how to, how to teach and approach and talk to people who know absolutely nothing about ramen and like how to talk to them about it. Because it's, since we do have, we have a very small menu, we have probably like five bowls of ramen on our menu 
three sides and like drinks then byo so like learning how to talk to people about ramen is like a huge thing as well because if somebody comes in it's just like hey, i don't know what i'm in the mood for and i have a huge line outside i need to be able to like quickly like approach them and say like all right i need you to figure this out but like in a very friendly manner so things that i would approach them with would be like well what are you in the mood for are you in for something light or are you in for something rich oh well then here's if you're in for something that's like a little bit more like you want to be like full, like full after your meal, why don't you try out like our Tantan or EAK, but then we, we took off the EAK, we have like Niku Buddha right now. But uh, things like that are really fun because you get to kind of educate your market about these are the things that go into ramen and you see them getting excited, which in return, you get start getting fired up about it as well. But then like learning about ramen itself is like the biggest thing about like working at a ramen shop and then learning about ramen is just being there and like seeing what goes on in the shop is probably putting like putting yourself in a position that gets you like 25 steps ahead of like, all right, if I were to ever like transition out of like making it at home and then approaching it with like 20, like 10 people, maybe 25 people, just being in an environment where you're serving continuous flow of traffic of customers is going to help you tremendously later on. And even if you like, there's a thing within the industry called a stage. If you stage over at a restaurant for like maybe a week to a month, right? You can even stage for a day. It's just putting you in the mindset of like, you are serving other people other than yourself now. And so that is probably one of my biggest takeaways from neighborhood ramen right now is that uh, that continuous flow and how to like uh, work around other people as well. So one of the things that I've learned just recently as like a line cook is just knowing how much stuff do I have on hand, how much do I need for the next day in my station. And so that takes the weight off of the chef because it's one less thing that the chef now has to worry about. So if the chef asked me at any point in time, like I'd know that number. If he's like, hey, Tim, like how much of the Oshinko or how much gyozas do we have on hand? Like, I know that number. And it's like one less thing that he can like, doesn't have to like worry about, which allows him to focus more on like maybe making a special or, you know, getting the expo down or the tickets down, whatever it may be. Um, so just having like the organization, like my mindset has like switched up from a front of house perspective to a back of house recently as well. And I'm sure Chiyota can like speak to this as well, because in my head, it's not about like, okay, well, like what's my next task. It's more of like, I know I'm doing this task right now. And then after I slice these cucumbers, I need to make my pickle liquid. I'm going to like measure out the salt. After I measure out the salt, I'm going to go ahead and bring these things into dish. I'm like trying to be three steps ahead of myself the entire time. And that like speeds up my entire process. So it like doesn't stress me out later on and I'm not in the weeds later on. Uh, just like being quick about and executing your tasks. That's like one of the biggest things that also helps me at home because it keeps me organized at home, which allows me to like think and like to, to write down more notes rather than worrying about like, oh my gosh, I have like a mountain of dishes over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but other than that, like I've talked to my chef about like learning more about just how to approach ramen 
And the biggest thing too, is that like, I'm still very young and I'm just transitioning into a new position. And so I may not know so much more about like the ramen from like day one, but like just being around has tremendously like helped me out, like staying passionate about ramen. Like any new thing that I learn over at the shop just fires me up even more to like pursue. Like when I was in a similar position to Chiodos, because we like Chioda and I would talk to each other a lot as well. But when I was in a very similar, like in similar shoes and like working two jobs, like we would spend, I would spend all my time like during my breaks just watching like your videos or like I would spend my time just like looking at ramen posts on Instagram or like talking to like different people on Instagram, like messaging people and just being like, I saw you made this one ramen. Like what the hell's going on with that? (laughs) Tell me more about that, man. Like I never seen nothing like that in my life. And it's just so much fun. That is like not very uncommon amongst people in the community, like doing exactly what you're talking about, like spend all their time doing that and, Hitting up yeah, random people on Instagram asking, about, asking questions about their ramen. Yeah, yeah, and it's so much fun because like you start like you start figuring out the people who are like super active and like you want to like just spend more time with them and like just hang out with them and see because like you have that like common ground of like you just want to like improve and grow and get better. And so that's it's like really hard too because I learned so much from like the online community like through the discords and through like um, like searching up like videos. And then I also learn from like the shop and it's like really push and pull because they're two completely different philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm always like in this like gray area of like, man, if I was making this at home and it's super awesome, but then if I were to transition this into a shop environment, like this completely wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to like balance those two things. Like I'm still trying to figure it out now, but that's one of the things if you're, if you're a person out there, that's like thinking about like joining a ramen shop, like that's one thing that you're going to have to like understand when you step into the, into that world, because you're going to be like really lost at that point where you're like, okay, how do I like take the things that I'm learning at the shop and utilize that at home or even vice versa. versa. That's going to be, yeah, that's going to be very hard, but like whoever figures it out first or like once you're able to navigate that, it gets a lot easier. Eric, feel free to jump in anytime. Yeah, uh, I I relate a lot to what Tim said. Um, Like the biggest being like economy of movement. That's kind of like the concept of trying to limit the amount of physical steps that you're taking to do X number of tasks. And so uh, it's interesting because like our shop, uh, like when we're not, I mean, pre-COVID, uh, well, I guess now it's two people on shifts mainly, but before it's, uh, there are three major roles at the shop. There's the dishwasher, there's host, and there is the chef, that being Jake for the most part. Um, and so as a dishwasher, as like Tim was saying, you're not, you're not necessarily in front of the sink the entire time. The dishwasher is also clearing bowls in the customer area, having people share their dreams, um, you know, running that basically running all around the place. I mean, it's not a matter of cleaning dishes. There's a lot of other stuff that you have to do. Um, another example is like, uh, I mean, when I first started uh, at, at UMA, uh, the dishwasher also needs to do what we call a veggie set. Um, so on top of our ramen, we have cabbage and bean sprouts. And so you have to blanch those uh, before you, you know, before they're served. 
And so the dishwasher periodically runs from behind the, uh, you know, behind the kitchen uh, out to the front, does a set. And then when the noodles, that's when the noodles go in. And then when the noodles come out, we do a secondary set before they're served. And so as a dishwasher, you're constantly moving around the restaurant. And when I first started working, um, my timing was off. My, my, my flow is off with Jake and with the host. Um, so as a result, there's like a lot of growing pains. Um, and I came into the rest, into Yume without any uh, restaurant experience, uh, which is very difficult because what I would be doing at home uh, doesn't always, and in a lot of cases, doesn't always uh, match up to what you do in the shop. Um, but I've certainly learned a lot from working in a shop and there are like techniques and not techniques, but there are um, like, I guess, skills that I've taken from the shop and applied to my cooking at home. Um, you know, just cooking, making sure that you're cooking clean uh, all the time, that you're just generally disciplined um, about what you're doing. Um, I think timing is another important thing when it comes to cooking uh, at home sometimes. Um, which I've been better about normally when I, I mean, when I was first making stock, it was, I was very lackadaisical with it. It was something that was very cathartic for me. And I would just sit and, you know, just, you know, watch TV and just let the soup go. Um, but now I've kind of adjusted how I'm looking at ramen and I want it to be, you know, as best as it can possibly be. So just being more efficient with how I'm uh, moving around the kitchen and what I'm doing is, you know, how I've kind of adjusted, um, but again, like I was starting out as a dishwasher and hosting, but now a lot of like what I'm doing is uh, in our noodle room in the back of the restaurant. Um, so there's kind of a disconnect uh, between me and the customer and in some cases with uh, Jake, with uh, my sensei. So um, I don't know, there's a lot to learn with, with just making noodles because they're very temperamental. Uh, and so I've learned a lot about ramen by just, again, by making noodles by being in the shop. I think you, there's a lot that you can learn by just being in the environment, by being in the shop and just seeing how things work. Um, you're not necessarily making the soup. You're not necessarily marinating the pork or making the bowls of ramen, but by just being in the environment, you pick up a lot by observing. And as long as you're looking and, and trying to figure out why, you know, I guess it's like kind of looking at a magic trick. Like if I'm looking at Jake do something, I'm like, why is he doing that? How is he doing that? Like, at what stage is he doing it? And, and why is it happening? Um, so it's a lot of just note taking um, and observing and trying to replicate, um, especially with when I was making my noodles. In the beginning, it was really hard. And it's, actually, it's still hard, honestly, to make noodles um, because I've only been making them for eight months. I haven't seen a full year I haven't made noodles for an entire year and seasonality plays a large role in making noodles. Um, and so I haven't gotten the full spectrum of what it is to make noodles at the shop, but um, it's proposed so many challenges for me. Um, and again, I made a lot of bad batches in the beginning, ones that had to more or less be thrown out completely. Um, but the way that I approached it was I would, I like would film Jake make noodles and then I would, I basically log everything that he was doing and then I would film myself and I would try and match up what it is that I was doing against what he was doing and see like where the disconnect was and part of it was technique but again a lot of it comes down to speed um, 
And I think if I've learned anything about working at a shop, uh, it's honestly just being efficient and just putting in the reps and just being disciplined and just not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, because at first, I mean, I failed a lot and I continue to fail to this day, but you kind of have to take those as learning experiences and then learn how to adjust from there. Um, I think that's been a big thing that I've, I've learned. Are you guys the, using a, like a Richmond there or what are you guys using for noodle making? I wish we were using a Richmond. <laughs> um, we're using a old school, uh, I think it's a Ibisu Seimenki. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's like a lot. I, again, I don't want to use the J word, but yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of shops of similar style in Japan, they use uh, uh, that machine. And so uh, we use that machine and it's pretty, it's a lot different. Um, what I found in just watching people uh, using the Richmond uh, online, whether it be Yamato's live classes, or I think Motoki uh, did, uh, Motoki-san did a video where he yep. shows how he makes noodles in the shop and it's just like so it's just so nice and pretty like <laughs> the process it's so like flow it like flows nicely um it's just like looks like it looks you know the has like amazing attachments for starching the noodles mm -hmm. um where our machine is uh i mean it's beautiful in its own way i would say um personally i was afraid of it for the first month or two um because it's loud. It's uh, it's just a very dangerous machine. If you're not careful, you can. There's a million ways to hurt yourself on it. And it's funny because there's a, one of the one of the members that you may actually uh, told me one day he had a dream that I broke my right wrist making noodles. And so for a week straight, I was like so careful uh, <laughs> to like put my hand close to the roller. Like when I was digging stuff out of the mixer, I was careful about putting my right hand into the mixer. Um, so it's a pretty intimidating machine at first and it's a lot of manual, uh, effort. Like we don't really have a lot of the tools that make it easier to make sheets and then laminate those sheets and make, and then cut noodles. A lot of it, um, you have to work around the machine. Like the machine's not doing a lot of the, I mean, it's doing a lot of work in terms of laminating sheets and cutting and mixing, but you have to work around it a lot and how you're yeah. making the noodles. But, uh. Yeah, well, one day, one day, one of my dreams is to work on a Yamato Richmond one. But, <laughs> so if anyone's out there, you know, wants to let me give it a go, I mean, that'd be yeah. awesome. But uh, co yeah, once COVID's done, you can hit up the Black Dynasty guys or Hosaki yeah. has one too now. Mm, yeah. Hosaki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you guys, yeah. do you guys still make ramen at home? Or are you guys pretty much like not doing that? Because you guys are like, you guys are on the Discord server all the time, and I know that you guys talk to each other on, like late at night sometimes about this secret pro secret pro technique and stuff. Are you guys still trying stuff out at home, or is it mostly just like restaurant kind of stuff? Because you said uh, you mentioned it, Tim, and other people have told me like um, Nakamura has told me on his podcast, and then Kanda has told me on his podcast like it's such a different beast making ramen at home versus making ramen in the shop. So yeah. like, have you guys have you guys continued to try to make ramen at home, or are you guys more focused on shop? ramen now shop quantities and things like that so i remember when i first started at neighborhood or even before neighborhood like i was trying to make ramen at home already mm -hmm. and that's what led up to like trying to join like a ramen shop in the first place 
because and it was it's this it's the same thing just like everybody else you know you hop onto reddit to try to find the secret pro techniques on reddit <laughs> and then from there you find the ramen lord and from ramen lord you get into this huge rabbit hole yeah. of like this all this knowledge right but like well, what's really cool about the difference between like a shop and then like over at um or well just for i guess for neighborhood right for between like neighborhood and then trying to cook at home is that at home you have complete freedom to to kind of like do whatever you want and like that is like the biggest appeal for a lot of people is just that you have that that station to just go any direction that you want without worrying about like the end result because you'll still eat your mistakes afterwards nonetheless it's a lot of like uh it's a lot of push and pull with me whenever i try to make a bowl at home because i want people from the community who cook who who like cook way more ramen than i do at home to like tell me like what's going on like they i want them to like tell me like all right hey like point me in a different direction other than the way that i'm going the same way that you're like you started your youtube channel for for the people who know more than you do to like point you in a direction that you're trying to head and that's the same thing i'm trying to do on to like twitch with like the ramen community um so whenever i when i was like uh when the shop was closed this year um when we were trying to set up the outdoor dining area like i started streaming a lot more and that's when like i realized you know the big difference between like the shop environment and home mm -hmm. environment but i still had so much fun making like ramen at home because after that little like curve of like okay i know nothing like start from scratch i know nothing about ramen and then like trying to like and then bringing those tiny skills about efficiency organization and like writing down your notes from the shop like that's what like kind of started to speed up my learning as well um, and then it's a it's a roller coaster with with the whole learning curve. You know what I mean? Because like you'll get to a certain point, and then you're just like, okay, wait, hold on, I actually know that again. <laughs> and so it's like there there's times where like I'm kind of just like lost, and I just want to take a break because I burnt myself out from like making too much ramen at home. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I'm trying to like balance that a little bit more. So I'll like sometimes make like a broth that I'll like present to the chef. Which is another really big appeal about working at a shop is just like that. Is, that seems like a that. huge advantage to working for someone who actually like a shop. Like you can try things out and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" and get feedback. You know, I'm sure exactly. both of you guys are doing that. Exactly, and, and it's fun too because, like, with with Chef Jesse, it's like, you know, he he worked at a ramen shop before going in and like making his his shop as well. So it's like he has some experience there. And it's nice to like have his palate to like kind of give you feedback and point you in the direction that you're like, hey, chef, I was trying to like get this really nice show you taste. You love show you. Can you tell me more about this? And then he'll be like, well, honestly, and it's it's interesting too because like sometimes he'll give feedback and he'll be like, well, this is my personal preference. Like I don't like this ingredient. And so then it's just like then you get lost again and you're just like, oh man, well like he doesn't like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. What about other people? You yeah, know? yeah. So um i do still try to make ramen at home not as much as i used to like during like the whole quarantine but i i really enjoy like meeting up with people from the ramen community as well mm. though and like i have a very nice comfy couch so <laughs> i mean like i tell people like hey like come over to philly like I'll, I'll show you neighborhood ramen and if you want like let's make some ramen together um like i'll host you if you need my couch is comfortable so uh that's happened a couple times now and i've been like uh two or three days ago like i i had awa from the community oh nice 
Awa came through. I met up with like Chiodo, Phil, and Awa in New York like three, four weeks ago. Um, and it's just like these little things like just can kind of like grow your your network, but like also just like you have like friends to like nerd out about ramen, which is like <laughs> so hard to find. Yeah. And okay. so it's like those little things can is like what I love about like cooking ramen at home is it brings all these people together. Yeah, for sure. Just like food in general just brings people together. I felt like, I, I kind of said it before, like I felt like there was a bunch of people out there trying to make ramen on their own, but none of them were connected or very few were connected. And now mm. it seems like a lot more people are connected within the last year. So it's been pretty cool to watch. Eric, are you still making ramen at home or are you yeah. mostly focused on? Um, yeah, I'd say, yeah, definitely making ramen at home. It's actually funny because uh, ironically, when I'm not at the like when I'm not eating ramen at the shop, I tend to like gravitate toward lighter soups. Um, uh, so I've focused mainly on my shoyu, um, just because over the past like two years, I mean I'll experiment with other, uh, I'll experiment with like thicker soups uh, like pythons uh, or other types of tare, but I don't know. I always come back to shoyu just because I personally like I like the taste. Um, so. Yeah, I've been kind of experimenting a little bit. I made like a duck shoyu um, like a few weeks ago um, that I'm probably going to try again. Uh, if not this week, next week, weekend. Um, but yeah, mainly on the weekends, is if, if I'm making ramen, it'll be on the weekend just because during the week between work and making noodles, um, I'm pretty busy. But I think honestly, a way for me to motivate myself has been going on Twitch um, and just streaming it because you know, it's just nice to connect with people who want to watch you make ramen. And so I've been using that as a way to motivate myself um, just because it is, again, it's very difficult. Um, there's a time where I was eating. The problem is like, there's a time where, or I guess it's a problem. Uh, there's a time where I was eating like maybe ramen six days a week. I'd be eating like, uh, I'd be eating yume ramen six days a week. And, and then by the weekend, I'm like, I want to sleep for eternity essentially. Uh, so I, it was kind of hard to motivate myself to cook over the week and I just wanted to sleep and decompress so I could start the week up again. Um, yeah. So for a time I was focusing less on my own ramen, but more of the quality of the needles at the shop. And that was like my main priority. And I sent, I mean, right now it's still my main priority, but I'm trying to slip in more bowls over the weekend if I can. Um, yeah. So yeah like i'm trying to figure out like what like i, I like nakamura san said that the the quantities are just too small at home to do a lot of things you do, that you can do at a shop because you're using like the amount of bones that you have and the amount of water it's like hard to regulate the temperature to extract things properly mm -hmm. so i'm trying to figure out like how do you how can you consistently do those things at home like that's what i've been trying to figure out recently i've been i haven't been cooking too much because it's pretty hard with the baby and stuff and it's just yeah. tiring but Mm -hmm. like that's one it's of my biggest question, things i'm though. trying to figure out like yeah. how do you do that you know like how do you extract things properly at home like I, yeah. one of the that um that youtube channel i've been watching a lot they kind of just say like keep topping it off with water because like mm -hmm. you know we've all heard those extraction times like chicken like six to six hours pork mm -hmm. eight to mm -hmm. ten hours etc cetera, etc cetera. and that one of the things he said is like just keep topping it off with water as it's going for that time and then the last hour you just let it reduce back down so you kind of yeah. concentrate the flavor again and right. you have like uh, optimum extraction. I haven't tried that yet. So that's one of the things yeah. I wanted to try. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I'm. I don't know. Like that's just what I'm trying to figure out now. Yeah. So, so with like Tade, I actually your Scott uh, episode with Scott LaChapelle um, mm-hmm. was interesting when he talked about treating Tade like uh, as if it's dashi. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm more delicate with how I make my shoyu Tade. Uh, something that I've actually been doing recently to kind of like and achieve uh, like consistent temperature and extraction is by sous viding the ingredients in a vacuum sealed bag interesting um and so like katsu and kombu uh and shiitake all have their own ideal or optimal extraction times and Mm -hmm. from like what i've been reading online uh, it actually says to extract kombu like a lot of people will do the cold soak with the kombu and then they will and then they overnight and then they will add the rest of the umami components the day after and heat it up and you know let it go for 45 minutes or however long you mm. want, would like to. But what I've found is I've actually adjusted so that I put in the higher temperature extraction umami components first, and then I work my way down to lower extraction. Um, so like I'll, va- I'll vacuum seal katsuo and let that go for like five to 15 minutes at whatever, like 80 degrees Celsius, and then I'll strain. And then I'll do the kombu steeping for like another hour. Um, so that's how I've been able to regulate my like extraction for my tares. Uh, for soup, it's a lot harder because I don't have um, the, I don't have really the best equipment. I think that's honestly the hardest thing is equipment makes a huge deal, a uh, huge difference in making ramen, especially like with the ladles, because mm-hmm. all the ladles I have are in terms of ounces, not in cc <laughs> or milliliters. Yeah. Um, so it's just a huge pain to get the right proportions there. Um, but yeah, making soup, it's a challenge because uh, I like to cover, I I only I mainly do stovetops. I don't really use the IP uh, yeah. too much for making soups. And so part of my issue is uh, like keeping the temperature consistent with it, with the lid on the pot. Um, so like if you, you know, you bring it up to a simmer, but you leave the, the top on the pot, it will go above like the optimal yeah. temperature. Yeah. Um, so you kind of... I found like the perfect uh, with my stove on a particular burner. I know <laughs> optimal like placement of the of the uh, the switch or the dial so that I know when it's covered, it will generally be at like a proper simmer if I want to yeah, make like, yeah. it. So I know what that is, but it's taken me like at least a month or two, or or no, no more than a month or two. It's taken at least like six months to figure that out. So if I move to a different apartment, I hope I can bring my stove with me so I can like, <laughs> don't have to re- go through that whole uh, process of figuring that out again. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's the hardest part is honestly like uh, making sure to balance the the temperature so that it's not over or under where you want it to be. Yeah, the temperature control is the, I think, I feel like one of the hardest things for home cooks because especially if you're not using like a pressure cooker and pressure cookers have like their pluses and minuses you know there's positive and negatives like the time saving is pretty nice but i feel like i can't get it consistently as consistent when i use the pressure cooker i mean how, how have you guys been going about sourcing your ingredients for home ramen like you know getting i just i was just lucky enough to find a bunch of like pork bones at the supermarket today so i bought a bunch of that but the only way that i've been able to consistently get like torigata like the chicken max it's like i gotta break down my own chickens basically and then mm-hmm. save those in the freezer so like how have you have you guys been like using your restaurant connections to get ingredients or what is your thing yeah yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> like 
the one thing that I, I don't even know. Uh, I got Naboshi from the shop, which was like, I know a lot of people like, uh, like in our community, like it's really hard for them. Yeah. Like in Naboshi. So. Yeah. Did I, did, I ever say on, did I ever say on a podcast why it's so hard to get into Boshi in America? So, so I, I was working with the Japanese pantry guys to get the store on the way of ramen up and going up and running. And I asked them like, can you guys bring in the Boshi? Cause that's like the one thing nobody can get. And they, they said like, Oh, actually we're working on it. But, um, for some reason, importing fish into America is like incredibly difficult because, because of the fact that it's fish, they're so worried about it spoiling. That even if it's dried and desiccated, like you have to jump through all these additional hoops to prove that it's not gonna like give someone food poisoning right away. So like, and in order for for that to happen, you have to get the people in Japan to fill out all these bunch of forms and jump through all these hoops just to send it over to America. And most Japanese niboshi factors are like, fuck that, I don't want to do that. You know, like why would it, like I can sell to Japanese people without having to do this? Why would I want to waste the time to do that? But but the ironic thing, I think it was because of COVID that they're kind of more open to it now. We're like, oh yeah, we got to, you know, export more. And so I think we might be able to get more Niboshi into America within like a year or two. Hopefully, I'm kind of hoping that it kind of changes the landscape a little bit. One of the small benefits of COVID is the Niboshi trades. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, but I would, yeah, I'd say like our, I mainly go through, if it's like, there's a particular ingredient I can't uh, find or have limited access to, I go through the shop. Um, but honestly, for the most part, it's just been a matter of like hunting, like I'm looking for specific things and I will do a lot of research and like, I'll go to get my chickens at a farm or I'll go like get my like katsu from like this place or, I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, I honestly, it takes me longer to get all the ingredients than it does to make me ramen at this point. (laughs) Because <laughs> yeah. I'm driving, I'm driving yeah, around, that. like, yeah, I'm driving around, like, I'll go, like, an hour, two hours outside the city just to buy a chicken, like, and then I'll go sometimes, and they're like, oh, we're out of the her- our heritage chicken, and I'm like, man, I'll have to go to the other farm that's, like, two hours south. Of- <laughs> I just, I just drove hours. an hour to get Niboshi. <laughs> I, I drove in, like, like, I live on, like, the island I live on is pretty small, but I live on the east side of the island, and I drove all the way to the other side of the island to buy Niboshi from this one shop that sells Niboshi and they were sold out. And I forgot, I didn't call before I left my house. So I basically spent Uh a day driving back and forth on the island to get, I bought shrimp. They had dried shrimp. So I got that at least, but that's (laughs) kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Boston traffic's not great either. So there are times where I'll like, I'll cut it slim and I'll I'll cut it short. I'll, you know, the the shop will close at six, like the, the farm will close at six. And then like, uh, another meat market where I'm getting something else will close at eight. So I have to like block <laughs> my time. And yeah. if I'm stuck in traffic, you know, I have to, I don't know. I, I just got to figure it out, I guess, but I, I, I schedule it out well, but there are times where I'm just like, I'll get there and it'll be closed or they don't have what I need. So <laughs> yeah. it'll be like, oh, I guess I'm not making ramen this weekend. Yeah. The struggle is real. Do, do you yeah. guys prefer like the whole chicken for soups or do you guys break down to backs and then use the chicken meat for something else? Like what are you guys preferring now? I use backs. Use backs mostly. I use backs and feed, um, just chicken parts because I use the I use an Asian grocer, like in Philly. I mean, that's that's another thing too. Is like, ch- like Chiodos in you're in Boston, right? Yeah. 
and then I'm in Philly. So like we're in like metropolitans that are like, you know, there's a lot of diversity. And so we have like easy access to, to like a variety of ingredients, but like uh, one of the things also is just like with the chicken parts, there's like, or like even with like pork bones too, like I can ask the butcher to like, can you uh, split the femurs for me into like three parts? And so, like little things like that can really make a difference. Yeah, yeah. I think I think also like butchers, like at least in my experience, the particular with butchers is if they're like breaking down a lot of the, you know, the uh, parts like in shop. There are a lot of cuts and stuff that they're not particular. Like they're not selling to people. And so, as long as you establish a relationship with, uh-huh. you know, with the butcher, like a fishmonger or whoever it might be. Oftentimes they have more or less what you need. It's just a matter of knowing what to ask. And cause like, you know, who's going in and buying like at yeah. most butchers buying just the trotters or whatever. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, the femurs and the trotters. Like yeah. Everyone's femurs really, and the backs. Right. So yeah. I, there's like a lot of stuff, like all the components are there. It's just a matter of asking for it. Um, and so you can even sweeten yeah. the deal tell the butcher that you're gonna make a ramen for them and then <laughs> yeah, just be exactly. like hey like if you give me some chicken feet man like oh i'll make you a broth <laughs> and then like yeah. that can establish a relationship but like just being friendly with them too and just yeah. asking for parts and just saying like hey like i need chicken feet or i need like mm-hmm. i need pork like necks or or, or like i need trotters or something <laughs> yeah. like that I think part of the cool thing about working at a restaurant I found is like just how small the like community is of other shops and other people of their own like crafts and whatnot. Like we have a lot of customers who work at like neighboring restaurants or like there's a guy in particular, a customer in particular um, who works at like a really well-known like uh, cheese, he's a cheese monger or not cheese monger. He works at a cheese like shop called formaggio kitchen but they have like access to a lot of other cool ingredients so he like brings some stuff uh to the shop and then we'll just like play around with those ingredients and in return we give them ramen and whatever whatever else we're cooking up which is kind of cool um that's been kind of a nice like uh side ben i guess benefit of working in a shop is just (laughs) meeting all kinds of different people yeah. That's a good point, you guys. Like, because in in Hawaii, the fish, the exact fish that they use to make katsubushi in Japan, is called aku in Hawaii, and nobody wants to eat that here. So people catch it, and there's like, fuck, we can't sell this. So they try like to get rid of it as easy. Like people, some people buy it and stuff. Like I used to, I grew up eating it. We used to dry it and stuff and eat it here. But I used to try to find like a fisherman that just can give me the aku that they catch. It's like, oh, we can't sell that anyway to make because most people like that uh, ahi poke. They like yeah. that ahi instead of the aku. So I, I wanted to try to make some katsubushi one day if I can get my hands on hands on some of that. Because it's, it's the exact same fish as that skipjack tuna. It's like yeah. ton, there's tons of it in Hawaii. So yeah, do it, man. Yeah. Just do it. I should just like uh, get a bunch of that and just make it here and then send it out to everybody. Yeah. Katsubushi, Hawaiian Absolutely. katsubushi. Yeah. Put it on the shop. Put it, Put it on the, the shop. Yeah. <laughs> Elvin would probably buy all of it. Yeah. <laughs> He's not trying to make it himself. <laughs> so, so you guys, you guys talk a lot on the Discord server. Like, what, what is the secret pro techniques that you guys have discovered within the last few months? That's the been the most like impactful thing. Like, oh crap, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, the sous vide thing was pretty cool. Yeah. That's a pretty cool SPT. But what's like been the thing for you? Like, oh man, like this is something that I wish I knew like a year ago. 
So the secret pro technique that really impacted the way that I approached ramen recently was um, like two days ago on Monday when Allah came through. And it was just like put into action what a lot of people have been telling me like for a very long time now, which is just like stop thinking too much, understand your baselines when you're making your ramen. And like if you've already made a bunch of ramen before, you know, like if you've made different styles and whatnot, stop thinking so much and just sometimes have fun with it and just like freestyle it. And that's exactly what we did. We did a Gyokai's game and and it was probably like it was the most fun thing that we did because like I didn't have a lot of stuff on hand. Like we had to go to the grocery store, but we like blanched a bunch. We made Atari the same day. Like um we did like a bunch of like bones that I just had left over in my freezer, threw it into like a pot, blanched the bones, threw it into the Instapot for like an hour and five minutes. It was like a maybe a four quart batch, four to six quart batch. We had like dashi ingredients, like kombu was still in there and a bunch of stuff that's just completely backwards. Like <laughs> yeah. just not thinking about too, cause like you understand, if you understand your ingredients already and you've made a bunch of ramen and you know the notes of like your shoyu's, yeah. like you know that your usukuchi shoyu is gonna be a little bit sweeter cause of the particular style that it is. Or you know, this one's gonna be a lot more salty or this one's a lot more rich. Like, you know what's going into this. You understand the steeping methods and the different times. Like, we left Atari out to steep, just cold steep on the counter for like, I don't know, 35, 45 minutes while we went to go pick up some ginger onions and Napa cabbage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we don't know the times on these things. And like, we didn't time the broth for uh, the gyokai. You know, yeah. gyokai, you're thinking in your head, that's an all-day project. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't. We were just like drinking cocktails the entire time while we were waiting for the gyokai to reduce down. And it was just fun. I feel like and sometimes we get too much in our head, like people that get yeah. into making ramen. Like we, we, we know the timings. And so we are like, oh, I don't know. Like, like we kind of second guess ourselves, I feel sometimes. It's like you, because we know like it's supposed to be extracted this time. But actually, like I think, I honestly think a lot of Japanese ramen chefs, they don't they don't adhere to these timings and stuff as much as people in the west do i think they just kind of like yeah it looks good you know taste yeah so like what what i would say is yeah kind of building off of that point so the biggest one of the biggest things that i've learned working in a shop and i don't know if it's truly an spt but i think using your intuition and cooking is such an underutilized skill and i think it comes from like when I first worked in the shop, a lot of like, especially with making noodles in particular, I had no, I had no idea what I was doing um, at all. And um, it was like a really big adjustment, but over time, I, at first I took an approach where I was basing it on strict quantities. And I still do it to this day. Like I looked at the humidity and temperature for the day. And based on that, I would make assessments on like how much water I need to use, like what the, uh, the heat of, like what the temperature of the water should be. Um, but over time, I've sort of been going from relying more on the numbers and le- relying less on the numbers and relying more on my intuition. Um, again, I agree with like, you know, trying to echo your sentiment about Japanese chefs. I think um, at least for like the chef that I work for, for Jake, um, it's very like based on the feel that you have and just, re- you know, you get to a point where you can replicate it um, without having to necessarily uh, measure out everything. And I think it's because, um, every time that you make ramen, every time that you do anything, the variables are different. Um, Mm -hmm. nothing is ever the same. And so 
to rely solely on the numbers is kind of uh, slightly erroneous because if you strictly rely on the numbers, but yet things are changing with the ingredients, with the, you know, the conditions, um, you're not going to get the same result. Consistency is being able to adjust um, to get to that end result rather than rely on these strict rules that somehow might get you to where you like where you think you need to go right right like a consistent end result rather than consistent starting ingredients and consistent timings right yeah Yeah. there's there's a baseline that you follow generally to you know to get to where you want to go but ultimately it's your intuition and to that drives you to like where you want to go and so like when i was making noodles i was focusing on the, the numbers because i had nothing else to go off of i didn't have feel for like what saboro should feel like before you press it. I had no idea how to long how to, like to rest sheets and what to look for. I didn't know like, you know, at first what I was doing with in terms of the air temperature and humidity, um I looked at it my my the way I conceptualized it is when the uh temperature in the air is higher, you want to uh you want to adjust the amount of water that you're adding. So if it's a higher temperature, you add uh, less water. If it's a lower temperature, you want to add more water. Um, or sorry, the opposite. With humidity, you want to add more water. If it's a higher, uh, lower humidity, if it's a lower humidity, you want to add more water. If it's a higher air temperature, you want to increase. Or if it's a higher air temp or air temperature, you want to decrease the water. If it's a lower air temperature, you want to inc- increase the temperature of the water. This way that, you know, you neutralize the effects of like the air temperature and the humidity so that you get the desired result. Um, The way that I've adjusted that is by, you know, just adjusting the temperature, the the, uh, quantity of the water and keeping the temperature constant so that you can continue. If you're making multiple cycles of noodles, you can um, arrive at a consistent result. Um, But again, like I focus less on the numbers now and more on what is like my intuition? Like, what should it feel like? And how can I adjust from there if I'm, you know, going through a process of like, making noodles, for instance? Yeah, super interesting. I, I, I've i seen it like um, when, when I was talking to Kanda, he kind of talked about how like these book recipes that I, all these recipe books that I had, he's like, those people, the books are nice, but you're not going to actually learn how to do it. And I, I, when I go back and read some of the noodle recipes in those books now, they're like saying like, if it's summer, put ice into your water before using it. And they, they have all of these things. Like you can't teach that properly through books, you know, like it's like what you're saying, like you have to live it and experience it. And how, how do I know how much ice to put into the, into the water when it's, you know, when it's hot out there in the summertime. So it's like, yeah. And a lot of the cases too, with like a lot of the recipes is these are developed over, you know, uh, this, like over time and time again of doing, you know, doing it over and over again, right? So you develop these recipes based on continual repetition, repetition of making this recipe. Um, so if someone's just starting out and just strictly following the measurements, there's a lot of technique, a lot of timing, a lot of other things that, um, you know, that again are not being, that are just different. Um, and so like timing and efficiency and all those things are crucial in order to get to that end result. And it's a lot of things that, home cooks might lack just from not, you know, from not making the same recipe over and over and over yeah, again. That's, that's for sure. Elvin just said in the chat, I got the great book. It's fucking useless if you're reading it for the recipes. <laughs> I, I 100% agree with that statement. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great reference. I mean, some of the things are not bad, but it's like, it's, it really is like you read it and it's like, 
they're like, oh yeah, if it's summertime, add this, and if it's if it's this, do this. But it's like unless you've lived it and are cooking it in that exact same space you're cooking in, it's not gonna work for you. It's yeah. gonna be slightly different and stuff. So. Yeah, I, I I agree with you guys, man. Like the things that I fucked up with the most is when I'm sticking too much of it, the theory of like, this isn't this is this this tonkotsu hasn't gone long enough, so it can't be done. But and so I like let it go, and then it's like I don't like how it is. Turns out like I should have just pulled it when I thought I should have, and all that stuff like that. It's that's usually where what messes me up is like second guessing myself rather than using the, the intuition. So yeah, also it's hard like, when you're doing it alone though too. Yeah, yeah. That's when, like, because that's the only other person that's like in that's like talking to you is like yeah, yeah, myself in yeah. your head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that, that's why when like I was with Awa, he was like the voice of reason. He was like the homie. Yeah. He was like saying like, nah, like screw that. Like, yeah. let's go ahead. Let's just like throw this in. Like, I was like, oh, well, should we put this in the fridge? He was like, no, nah, just leave it on the counter. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, that slows down the process. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know a lot of these different yeah. things. But at the same time, too, it was just more of like, oh, yeah, like, sure, like, why not? Why not? But like, yeah, yeah like, why not? But it, it is hard at home because, like, if you're not next to someone, it's like disciplining yourself to to make sure that you don't go down that rabbit hole of second guessing yourself. Yep. Because sure. it happens so much. Yeah. It happens so much. And it's just so hard to get out of. So sometimes just taking a step back and just being like, hold up. I, w- I said I was going to freestyle today and I'm yeah. like writing down all my numbers right now <laughs> in my notebook. So yeah. that's like a really hard thing to balance, but yeah. you need to like one day just, it, it's very much more of like, you know, like there's the rules and then there's like go against the rules. It's a very hard balance there. Uh, but you got to give it a try. Give yeah, it a try. And, like, that, that, and that's the thing. Repetitions like, will build it. Even like, you, like you read, like when I was reading all those, Sano recipes, Sano San recipes, and the, the stuff that Eric Ben sent me. It was like, this stuff doesn't make any sense at all. Like, what he's saying to do, it's like, like we, we have all these things like, oh, you, you, you steep dashi for this long, and you don't add the aromatics till the end, and you don't do the, and you have to cook the chicken for six hours and pork for this hour. You like throw everything into the pot and cook it for four hours. And it's like, really? <laughs> and it's like, is that, that's what we're going to do? Like, okay. So I, I really always, think it's like, yeah. I always wondered, like, for a lot of these, are like a lot of these like uh, ramen chefs in Japan like what is the reasoning behind like uh, creating these recipes that are then like publicly made available to people like I'm sure that they I don't know like it's just interesting to me that I, I, I like I don't know it's just yeah in terms of weighing out ingredients and and like the timing and all of that um, it's like I don't know I don't at least in the case of like working with Jake again as Ryan you said earlier that or, or Tim also said earlier um like all of the times are in his head but he's not actually conscious of like at this moment after this amount of time you pull this or do this like it's more based on like I guess a good example is like if we're cooking pork um it, like there's a range of how long it would take to cook chashu but it's never exactly one time it always depends yeah. on, like if you're cooking it in soup and let's say that there's like uh you know, it's like the soup's at a full, at a full boil, but it's like the soup's really high in the pot. Mm-hmm. As soon as you put the pork in the pot, it's going to cool down the soup a little bit and then it'll come back up the temperature. So if you're like, if the soup's at a low temperature and you have a limited amount of pork, 
it'll come up to temperature a lot quicker. And, and as a result, it'll probably take like uh, about an hour and a half maybe to cook. But if it's a pot that's really full of liquid and you put in the pork, um, again, it will take maybe a little bit longer for it to come up to temperature, in which case it would take longer for it to cook. But when you decide on when you pull that pork is really based around, um, well, we have a method of doing it, but, um, but it's it the jiggle test. Down. You jiggle it. And then if it's jiggly, yep. then you take it out. Right? <laughs> yeah. Jiggle it. You stab with a chopstick either. Yeah, either yeah, way. Yeah. Well, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all based on like your ability to just know that it's ready. And yeah. I lack that skill in so many ways uh, in the restaurant with noodles. It's like, you know, it's kind of, where I'm focusing most of my energy. So over time, I've just developed a sense of like, oh, this is done at this stage and this can, you know, I can move on to the next stage and um, just try to use like my prior experiences as best as possible to know when things are, are ready. But, you know, it's just a constant learning experience, really. For sure, man. Like you guys have such great attitudes because like I think it's it's like you guys are so young and like you guys are have they have these attitudes of like we're young and so we're gonna learn this is our time to learn and i think that's pretty pretty awesome for both of you guys i mean you're gonna mess up too yeah and that that sucks but like bouncing back from like that mistake like i don't know you can't you can't let the mistakes get to you because i know i know it did get to me at one point and like i just i just completely shut out ramen for like like a month or two uh, i think what like sucks about to... sucks about it is it takes so much time and effort to make ramen yeah. that when it turns out bad it's like oh, fuck this man why did yeah. i waste a day doing this yeah. you know that's yeah. that's it's a little bit harder than like you're trying to make an omelet and the omelet kind of messes up and <laughs> try again yeah. you know try again yeah. tomorrow like now <laughs> i have to drive another hour to go get some more nabushi <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah like <laughs> yeah it, it sucks but you know that's the thing about it though is like you learn more from mistakes sometimes too yeah. so that way you don't repeat those mistakes in the future and just yeah. you got to switch the perspective because it's, it's too easy to be negative in the kitchen man for it, sure it's so easy to be negative it's harder to be like positive about like just everything in general so yeah man i feel like i feel like the the ramen community as a whole too is also skews more towards the hypercritical on themselves too a little bit so i feel like that's why we're all kind of <laughs> we all kind of are like that we're <laughs> super critical about our almost and everybody else's stuff like oh your green onions yeah, they're, are too they're fat. working on it you know everyone's <laughs> yeah. working on trying to be a little bit less toxic but like yeah. especially for like new people yeah. i mean like toxic for like the people who are like i guess into like you know being online almost all the yeah. time but like for new people, we're, we're trying, we're trying a lot harder to like, yeah. what's pretty, refre what's pretty refreshing too, is like, if you have you guys ever made ramen with someone who'd never made ramen before? Yeah, like, I did. Try, yeah, I did that last that was My duck show you I made with people who were like, I was making it. And then people were like, Oh, well you like really want to see how you make, how you make duck or how you make the ramen itself. So it's very yeah. difficult in those cases to sometimes like be helpful yeah. and like teaching and educating like on what you're doing. And then you're like, I've lost like 15 minutes on my noodle recipe. Noodles <laughs> yeah, no. are effed right now. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, not certainly. I've ran into that before. Um, yeah. With yeah, teaching people. But it's also yeah, cool I, I to like see that. to see like because I think for some of us we're like, oh man, there's we, we still have in our minds are like we're so far away from where we want to be. But then you make ramen with someone who's never made ramen before, and they're like super stoked about you know anything that comes out. It's like wow, this is amazing. And so it's like yeah. kind of like a good gauge to kind of see that too. But 
yeah, yeah it's, it's I think fun, it's, man. Yeah, I think with ramen in particular, like as you put it, people are their own like their worst self critic. Yeah. Um, especially like I mean, I say like I totally agree with that. Where when I make ramen and I eat it, I'm like there are times where I've eaten, I'm like, man, this fell completely flat. And I'll usually when I'm like serving people at my house, I'll have the first bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally when I was making ramen originally, I would always leave my bowl for last because I thought it was like uh respectful to serve other people before yourself um but over time i realized especially working at a shop that it's important to eat the bowl first and then adjust from there just so like everyone else's bowl is better because as you're yeah. making more bowls it the quality is supposed to improve um and so like what i'll do is before i make a bowl i'll actually leave my house and walk around um just so when i come back and i try the bowl it tastes more accurate to what it actually is because i look like again what scott was bringing up with like how your senses are desensitized when you're like making ramen in the kitchen it's better to be served a bowl of ramen than to make it for yourself because again you kind of like your fresh your senses are fresh so normally i'll do that before i serve other people Uh, but yeah no i'm usually pretty critical of like my own ramen but then i'll serve someone else and be like oh this is fantastic but yeah. i usually the same i usually say the same thing too when someone cooks for me i mean that's like the best feeling ever is to be served so sure. like a bowl of ramen it's great yeah. um yeah yeah man yeah it's so interesting like that whole thing about the timings and stuff like just to go back like that's one of the i get all these comments on my my youtube channel the comments are so toxic you guys think that they're the discord server is toxic <laughs> the comment section is so toxic on youtube but it's it's kind of interesting like everybody is kind of just like asking for timings and stuff too like that's one of the biggest things people ask for like oh how long do i cook this like when when do i know you know it's like mm-hmm. hey you just kind of have to know when to know you know it's kind yeah of, it's, that uh, that's the thing about like the baseline stuff you know what i mean because like when like like we've talked about before too like once you make enough like ramen for like six months, I don't know, eight months, <laughs> and you made like a certain amount of bowls, I don't know, X amount of bowls. Yeah, yeah. Like, you just you get the intuition, especially if you've been paying attention and you've been being conscious about like all of the ramen that you're making. Like you develop your palate over time, also. So you just you understand your process. You understand what works for you, um, and then but like that's for you. And you just got to keep that in mind because then the whole, the conversation switches up if it's like, now you're serving other people. Yeah. Um, so that is a, it's a very interesting time to like go through that transition. Though. What kind of fucks me up too is when you, when you make something that you think tastes really good and then you serve it to other people and they're like, well, it's pretty good. Like what the, what? I, this is like Yo. the best thing I ever made. <laughs> this is like, you know, like this, that happened a couple of times to me. Like, um, I made that tonkotsu gyokai tsukimen. On, uh, I made a video. That, that was the video. And I had a bunch of extra. So like, and every time I make ramen, like my in-laws are always like, oh, how come you didn't tell us? You know, we, we want to eat some too. And uh, I already knew that they weren't going to like it because I, I just know yeah. like people in Hawaii eat chintons, nothing but chintons. Like that's yeah. the standard. People in Hawaii mm-hmm. love chintan. Yeah. And I was like, I was telling them, like, I don't think you guys are going to like this. It's kind of like thick and, you know, and they're, you know, like, they're like, you could tell like they didn't like it, you know, like they're just kind of yeah, yeah, eating yeah. it to be polite and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, fucking told you guys, you know, you guys aren't gonna like this shit. Yeah. Like, and so yeah. like, but it kind of makes me second guess. And like you, the, the Neboshi ramen too, that I, the last video that I put out for my kid, I thought that was like one of the best things I ever made, like ever. And it was like, 40 minutes, you know? 
I, I gave it to my wife and my son and they're like, well, it's pretty good. It's kind of fishy. You know, it's like, yeah. that's the point. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, so it's like, how do you like, have has that ever happened to you guys? Where it's like, you make something you're super proud of and then people eat it and they're like, oh, it's not bad. Or is it kind of just been like the opposite for most of the time where you make something like that, oh, this kind of sucks. And people are like, this is amazing. Oh. It's the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. You know, only chef has like ever like said to me like, yeah, no, like this, <laughs> this you gotta, you gotta keep working on this. Like, <laughs> Um, but like, I'm lucky enough also that I have a roommate who's also like a, like a ramen head. So uh-huh. he, he loves eating bowls of ramen. So I always like, just like, he knows my bowl so well and just like, yeah, no, I like the other one better. Like, yeah, this yeah. one, this one's just subpar. Like, so I don't know. Like there's this one time though, I did cook for my friend's family mm-hmm. and I used the Sanosan recipe because mm-hmm. like, this is a friend that like doesn't like onions, doesn't like <laughs> pork or like doesn't like eggs or any. I was just like, so what, you just like a bland lifestyle? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it's a texture thing for him, which I, which you got to understand with other people. Yeah, yeah. It's just like when people don't like textures, that's a whole different thing other than I don't like this food. So it's just, um, I made the, I made the Sanosan bowl and it turned out really well. It's just like noodles, broth, scallions. And so... They probably wanted some like tonkotsu because that's the American palate and they're yeah. more used to that. When you think but, ramen in America, it's like, oh, thick yeah. and rich. Yeah. But I didn't give that to them because I said like to myself, I was like, no, like, I don't care. Like, if I know what you like and you dislike, then I'm choosing what to make. But that's the thing, too, is like I've had people who like always wanted to try the ramen. But then I was just like, no, like, I'd rather serve it to somebody else. Like, I, I'm not afraid to just tell people, like, no, like, I, I want somebody else to try this because I don't feel like I'm ready to serve just, like, the, everybody. I want specific people to try this ramen. And then when I'm ready, I'll go ahead and come back to you and I'll say, hey, like, why don't you come over? Why don't you try this out? Yeah. But being very, like, picky about, like, who tries your ramen and, like, who you trust to, like, give you honest feedback is is important because if you don't if you just get people who say it's nice and they like it or if they just say oh yeah it's good you're not you're not growing and you're not improving and at that point you just probably wasted ingredients you fed somebody great you brought people together but like you're not growing and improving it's a it's supposed to be a win-win not just a win for feeding somebody food you know yeah it's kind of i kind of agree it's difficult to figure out um who to serve your ramen to i mean for me again it's like with tim uh like I have roommates and if I'm making a bowl, I'll usually make a bowl for myself and then I'll serve like the rest of my roommates. Um, it's interesting. Cause like at the shop, um, I have served my bowl to Jake before. Um, but like ever since I worked at the shop, um, I like, not like to say, but for me, like everyone's palate is different. And I've learned by eating ramen at the shop, my tastes have sort of adjusted um, in a lot of ways. Cause like the bowl that we're making is so like fatty, salty, um, oily, just, you know, everything like sinful you can possibly have in ramen just in one bowl. And so like over time, my pal- my palate's developed or changed in a lot of ways. Um, so like when I taste my own ramen, it doesn't taste the same to me. And so if I'm serving someone from Yume, it's probably like under salted, not enough MSG, <laughs> uh, not enough pork fat, not enough cabbage and bean sprouts. But when I'm serving my friends, um, you know, sometimes it might be too salty for them. So it really depends on the person's palate. Um, and, uh, again, 
in those scenarios, I just make it to, I, I make it so that I find that it tastes good. And if I find that it tastes good and other people don't appreciate it, then it really, it is what it is. Cause I make ramen yeah. at home because I, I enjoy making ramen and I like to eat what I make. Um, I like to obviously serve people as well, but it's just, you know, people's palates are so different to adjust for all everyone's taste is very difficult and so you know you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt but um and that's actually it's interesting because that's sort of like how we try approach ramen at the shop is uh what makes the style of ramen that we make that will remain unnamed um so special (laughs) is that it's um it's a bowl that centers around uh trying to adapt to like customers palates and tastes um, while it might not seem that way from, you know, from like the first bowl that you're eating, it's normally a uh, very abrasive, very fatty, very heavy. You like want to sleep for eternity. Um, over time, the bowl will improve because the chef, and, at least at our shop, and, and like we make an effort to try and accommodate for customer tastes. Um, so like it's really about the customer and what they want to get out of the bowl of ramen. So they might like less salt, they might like less fat, they might um, like they only might like lean pork instead of fatty pork. And so we'll generally accommodate for people's tastes. And I don't really do that with my own ramen as much, but in the shop, it's something that we stress a lot, which is interesting. Yeah, like how do how do you make something that like almost everybody likes like that's the thing like because if you yourself has a have a specific palate like like i like niboshi a lot but i know a lot of people don't like niboshi you know like people don't like that that flavor profile so i was like well what do you do then at that point i like ramen kawanashi kind of talked about it too he's like he's like i love chintan shoyu nobody in where he's at he's in i think he's in singapore or somewhere like that somewhere in southeast asia he's like nobody likes it here gotta make tonkotsu and gotta make uh, tori python <laughs> so it's like yeah. you know how do you balance that you know i guess it depends on what your goals are with making ramen. Yeah. if you're just making it at home and you're making it for yourself then make it for yourself enjoy it and you know make it for other people just so they can you know just so they can enjoy it as well if they don't then it is what it is but at a shop it i guess it's a little different right because the priorities are likely different so yeah you kind of have to adjust i guess and it's hard with one bowl it's not like you have many options and not everyone likes i'm not going to say that everyone in the world likes you may ramen like it's yeah it's kind of a polarizing bowl um by just you know by nature but um you know you do the best that you can essentially with what you have to accommodate uh, interesting like it's I, I guess that's on like what's slightly different about ramen than other kind of things in that tier of food, like burgers or something like, like a good burger is pretty universal, right? Like, have you ever, like, has there ever been like contest, like, you know, like two people eat a burger and like, oh, that thing was not that great. And the other person is like, oh, that was the best burger ever in my life. Like that usually, that doesn't usually happen with burgers or other kind of like food in that kind of price range, you know? So it's kind of a, a weird thing for ramen that I don't think other people have to deal with it if they're making other kind of food. I don't know. Maybe someone in the chat's going to say that I'm wrong. Don't talk about this, Ryan. I don't know what I'm talking about, but let's change, let's change it up a bit because uh, we're almost at two hours, I think. Like, what, what has been the best bowl of ramen you guys have eaten, ever eaten? You, know, you guys have both gone to Japan. You guys have eaten Keizo's bowls and Ramen Shack. You know, what is the best thing that you guys have ever eaten in terms of ramen? Uh, 
I mean, I I, you want to go, Tim? Yeah, I got to talk about this, man. It's uh, when I went to Tsukiji Market, I remember like what, before I went to Japan, I like was watching Ramen Heads probably like two, two twice a week. And so it's a it's ramen documentary, if people don't know. Um, and so every day that I was like prepping at the ramen shop, like that would be, I would be peeling like 600 eggs and I would just watch ramen heads back to back and it would show like Inoue, which is like a very, like a very casual, like chupasoba uh, restaurant in Tsukiji market. So I really wanted to try that, like, you know, just like very casual style of ramen, like here, let me give you a bowl of ramen. Let me like help you proceed for the rest of the day. And I just want to like, serve you like this really simple bowl but like it's gonna be so impactful that you're gonna be like all right maybe i can just like work off work for the rest of the day off of this one like meal i was just i'm a very romantic person like in terms of like the ramen and that scene because it's just like that's the roots that's the origins in my head it's unpretentious that that specific bowl is not pretentious at all it's like some guy it's not super refined it's not like anything over the top they weren't trying to do anything crazy different or whatever it was just like this is the og ramen Uh, i if i if i could go back to japan i want to go to a yatai but there's there's inoue wasn't there when i went to tsukiji instead there was a place called wakaba ramen and so i went there and I remember I got my bowl and you're at this, like, uh, you're outside and you're at this, like, folding table where you're standing and eating the ramen uh, and there's, like, S&B powder on the table and all this other stuff. And I was eating next to, like, this old couple, like, this grandma and grandpa next to me. And so uh, they just saw, like, I was so into my bowl. I was, like, happy. I was smiling. I was just, like, oh, like, just, like, taking the entire experience in and, uh, the old man next to me, he was just like, here, you want my trash too? Like, here, have some. And so he threw some bowls onto like, he threw some trash onto my bowl. I was just like, yo, great, man. Like, I'll take it, whatever. <laughs> and it was just for me, I was just like, wow, like, it made sense after that. Like, it made sense that, like, cool. Like, here's where ramen's at now. And then this is, like, kind of, like, threw me back to, like, here's some of the roots of where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it just like tied everything in for me. And I was just like, wow, like I'm super fired up. I want to keep making ramen. I'm like ready to go back to the shop and like put all of my effort in, mm-hmm. uh, which which is dangerous later on. I'll talk about that if you want. But um, yeah, I was, that was the most memorable bowl and my favorite bowl so far. Mm-hmm. I did, I even did a Twitch stream of making chukasoba based off of like your recipe and a couple other people's recipes. I do that sometimes. I take like some stuff from like Ryan, like I'll take some stuff from you and Ramen Lord or like some of my books or like the Japanese magazines where like I don't know what it's saying, but I saw a picture. So maybe I'll try some of that. And so I'll just like make like a, a note after and I made chukasoba, which I was so happy with. And just like throwing chashu onto my plate, not folding the noodles. I was just like, yeah, this is fun. It's just so much fun, dude. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like how Keizo loves like... Uh, Eats that taishoken, that that old school bowl too. Kind of probably something similar to that, right? Like you're, yeah, you're respecting mm-hmm. the heritage of the of this thing that's come so far. Mm-hmm. And now the yeah. chat is just like fighting about hamburgers after I talked about it. So that's bad. Look what idea. you did, I know. <laughs> nice. Eric, what what's been like your favorite or most memorable thing that you've ever? Um, I'd say my first love for ramen is Yoshimuria 
in Yokohama because like there the day go. that I went, the day that I went, it was like a, it was during the summer. It was a hundred and like twenty five. It was it was hot. It was like yeah. not one hundred twenty five. Obviously, that's an exaggeration. But it was like a, it was like a hundred. It felt like one hundred and twenty five. Like Venus. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was so hot. I was standing outside. Um, I was with one of my like good friends. Um, and we went to the shop and, you know, it's this big, fucking he- like heavy, oily bowl comes my way and I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to be eating this on a day like today, but I tried it and. It was amazing. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so that's like my first love. But honestly, it's kind of obviously no no surprise, but my favorite bowl is Yume, is Yume Ramen. Like, I think for me, my philosophy is at first with Yume Ramen, I didn't know whether I liked it or not. Like the first time I had, the second time I had it, it was like a gut bomb. It was heavy. But over time, the bowl itself means more to me than just the bowl. It means like the community and everything else that goes into it. And I sort of like developed a like an obsession for it. Like I eat it so much so that, um, that it just doesn't, I'm just so used to eating one kind of ramen that when I eat other, either whether it be my own ramen or other people's ramen, um, it just, it misses something um, for me. And so like I just love to learn. I love I've you know I've just grown to love Yume ramen so much that it's like right now it's my favorite ramen, um, just because I've eaten so much of it and over time I've seen it evolve, especially with like me making the noodles myself. Like I put so much work into them and I see like when I make good noodles and I eat the ramen itself that I just you know get a sense that I accomplished something from it. You know? So. Wow. Yeah. What's been the best, not the best, what's been some of the favorite things you guys have eaten in America? So I guess Eric's is Yume, Yume Ramen. Uh, Tim, what's, what's been the best thing you've, uh, not the best, one of your favorite things that you've eaten in America? I don't want to say best because there's so many like, great places here, like people don't realize, especially you guys are on the East Coast. There's so much great stuff there. Mm-hmm. Like what's been some really like standout bowls that you guys, have, that you've eaten like on the East Coast? Oh, I mean like, you know, my first... Uh, like American like shop bowl that wasn't based off of like box broth was neighborhood. So like, you know, I, it was my first introduction to like show you and like Tantan and all the other stuff. So that's like when, like one of the most impactful experiences is just like not only being at the shop, but eating the ramen every day, like Chiodo, because I mean like that's your staff meal is like, you're, you're working like eight hours a day, eight to 10 to 12, however long. And like, that's what you're eating every day. And you just like grow, that's your comfort food at the end of the day. But then like other places, like, of course, like Ramen Shack, uh, people who have popped up over at Ramen Labs, uh, you know, and then Amenya Hosaki, like that one's really awesome. And then Taishoken out in California, San Mateo, I think. Uh, Shiba ramen out in like Oakland that one's really interesting it was like my first ramen when I got back to California I got off the plane and I was like chef told me to go here so I'm gonna go so it was really cool um there's a lot of other places that I'm still trying to hit up as well like uh there uh what was that one place like I I definitely want to go to like Black Dynasty ramen see what they're all about um definitely want to go to like men's show out in like San Francisco um, and I want to go out to like a, a couple other places. I like, can start on the top of my head, but places that are just like 
that the ramen community is talking about and then other places that like my chef recommends because he's been like he also goes out to like ramen like the the owners go out to ramen expos which like i think the ramen expo last year or this year was supposed to be out in hawaii actually are you serious yeah Fuck so the ramen expo yeah. yeah it was supposed to be but then of course like because of the whole situation that happened uh things got delayed and moved around so i don't know where the next ramen expo is going to be happening but like mm-hmm. for the past like three four years like the owners of of neighborhood have been going out to these ramen expos and they they started off as like an like a like a pop-up so they were like first making the ramen at home with their friends you know the, the pop-up story basically so they have like all these different things that they like if they go out to texas like katsuya they would go to and then um other places like in i don't know a lot of the la shops Mm -hmm. i'm sure like um you know darth gastronomy alex i'm sure he would be able to like like point us in these different directions so that's another thing too is just like the community can point you in the direction of like the shops that are like the most valuable for like stomach space so yeah. if you're trying to crush like three bowls a day, yo, I would, I would go to Japan, by the way, Shiota with you anytime, <laughs> dude, because you crush bowls, bro. Like I need to, <laughs> with, like, you to like crush bowls with. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like echoing that. I think, yeah. Like with Tim and I, I think you mentioned it earlier, Tim, like uh, Tim and I went, uh, we were like visited New York together and went to a few shops. Um, I actually really liked no, no, no. Um, they had, their show you is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing, but um, th- that entire weekend, I think actually my favorite bowl was, uh, I don't know if you know Phil, Phil uh, Kakudega Ramen. He made a bowl for like a little pop-up at his house. That was amazing. Um, I think it's cool because there are so many people at home that are making these craft bowls. Like there's a Kodawati movement um, with people in their homes, not necessarily in shops. Yep. And so there's like so many bowls that are being made that, you wouldn't be able to experience unless like they're posting a pop-up at their actual house. Um, But I think that's like a really, one of the better bowls I've had recently was just out of someone's house, which is like really cool. And that's a really good point. Like there's a, there's a relatively high possibility that the best bowl in America is made being made right now in somebody's house and nobody even gets to taste it. Like there's, it's not even like, there's maybe like a pretty high percentage chance that that might be true. You know, like that's fucking crazy to think about. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause there are people, like, yeah. there are people. Yeah, like, it was funny too, really because good. I brought Phil's Tari over to the ramen shop and <laughs> normally like chef always has like, Oh, like this, this can be better. This like, yeah. he always has like some type of critique. So like he tried Phil's, Phil's ramen, like Tare, just the smoke show you Tare. And he's just like, it's good yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it i was just like yo this is crazy man yeah. like next time i have to bring him over up to like uh to phil's pop-up definitely but chiodo and i are sims for for phil's ramen for sure <laughs> i i totally forgot that we have a bunch of questions from the from instagram so we can go through this really quick so we've already kind of been at this for two sure. hours um so i'm gonna skip ones that we kind of answered already but i'll give the shout outs to people that asked him so darth gastronomy um asked for Chiodo, what makes the the j style ramen special to you and you kind of answered that already and then tim he was asking what's your favorite bowl in japan and you kind of answered that already so just shout out to alex because super cool guy someone's asking me if i'm on team trump or team biden 
I think that's for me, not for you guys. <laughs> I think they're both terrible in their in their own ways, but that's okay. Uh, there's Jose Jose Rod one two two three. What is your favorite brand of instant ramen, and how do you take it to the next level? You guys even eat instant ramen anymore? I love uh, instant ramen. I, I mean, love. I started it. off on instant ramen. <laughs> I mean, like whoever, like like says any bad things about instant ramen i mean like teach their own but like if you're a ramen head and you don't like instant ramen yeah i mean that that's kind of a red flag in my head (laughs) i agree that's kind of where i started too and um at the shop funnily enough we actually there are times where instead of using our own noodles i've used sheen ramen noodles and put the packet into the ramen with the tare and (laughs) <laughs> it still holds up it's still good i mean it's msg in a, in a little packet yeah, you should tell people about your little vial that you bring around oh, yeah, yeah someone, was, someone was talking about it in the chat like tell, yeah. tell eric have eric tell about this little uh yeah. secret msg vial it's in my backpack right now but it's like a, it's, like a, it's like a little uh like a single dosage of msg that i bring with me everywhere and uh i so there are times where i've eaten ramen at restaurants or pop-ups and i've had it with me and i will not use it out of respect for the person who's making the ramen but there are certainly places i've gone to where um it's not a pop-up or a restaurant like we have a relationship with where i'll just i bring it with me and if i want it i'll just throw it in there <laughs> um, i mean I, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah isn't that like the ultimate insult to a chef like oh yeah. you, your your food needs more flavor so i'm gonna put this in it. not not just more flavor your food needs msg you know what would make your food really good a little bit of this msg so i'm gonna yeah. help you out here. it's just a little yeah. white vial in his backpack and stuff. <laughs> holy crap uh, did you see him pull that out tim in new york city uh yeah it was pretty <laughs> funny it was like he we were over at phil's spot and I'll, we'll get back over to the instant ramen real quick, but yeah. we were at Phil's spot and he just like pulls out. He's just like, I got this, by the way, guys. He like shakes it around. We were like, uh, and he's like, it's MSG. It's MSG. <laughs> you guys are going to uh, engage in some illegal behavior, maybe. So, <laughs> echo in the chat actually yeah. mentioned the cop story about how I was pulled over in my car with this little thing of MSG. And he, uh, and, uh, it's not what you think it is, uh, officer. I'm sure. It's, it's, it's um, yeah. So it like pretty suspicious if I was just, you know, if I'm carrying around a little thing of MSG, like a bump of yeah. MSG gear with me. Yo, but favorite instant ramen is uh, Nissan Raw. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nissan. Like that, their noodles are really good. Uh, Tari packets are pretty like spot on, but like if anything, if anything, I would probably just use those noodles from the instant ramen packet and like like use the leftover tari that I have in my fridge if I was just trying to make like a quick lazy bowl, and like if I just got home from work and I didn't I forgot to eat a staff bowl, mm-hmm. just like make something like that. So did the cop believe you when he said when you said it was MSG or was it like you eat <laughs> yeah. you let me taste some or no I don't know yeah. I mean, you believe me. I was pretty. <laughs> I work at a ramen shop. This is MSG in here. Yeah. Ingredient. This is Ajinomoto. Just <laughs> the finest uh, Colombian Ajinomoto. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, 
uh, Nam, Foodie T Nam asks, what, what are you guys' future plans? Do you guys plan to continue working in the ramen industry? And I think someone else asked that too. So if someone, if I see that, I'll, I'll mention them too. So I, I quit my, um, I quit my second part-time job to work in the ramen industry uh, just because I wanted to go full-time. And that was actually in the transition of like, that's when, that's when the whole COVID hit was I had just recently left the job and then I was like, oh crap, what do I do now? Because <laughs> we can't open for the restaurants. So that was a really intense time. But like I started streaming and that was that was a lot of fun. So future plans right now is just to continue working and like building up my skills as a line cook and learning more about ramen through the shop. Um, I've served like a couple of my friends before, like maybe transitioned that into like like more friends, maybe just like friends slash acquaintances, like serve them as well. And then from there, like I, I definitely do see myself opening up like a shop one day or or like just a random pop-up person that like is traveling around. I would love to like go around the country and just like pop up in like different places using like local ingredients and stuff. I've, I, I heard a couple of people like talk about that before. My chef have had the same idea before as well. But maybe like the modern yatai is like a food truck. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traveling food truck that just drives all yeah. over the place. Yeah. What about you, Eric? What's your What's your future plans for ramen? Man, it's really hard to say. I mean, I more and more I've been fo- I've been focusing in on noodles specifically, mm-hmm. and um, like I just learned that to get into the restaurant industry, let alone work at a ramen shop where it's normally managed by one person who does everything from marketing to accounting to the cooking to the prep to everything. Um, It's a huge commitment of time, energy. So many sacrifices need to be made in order to pursue that as like a career. And I work full time on top of working at a restaurant. And, um, you know, sometimes it's difficult to know exactly where I want to go. I mean, I make noodles right now and that's my main priority is just focusing on noodles and, ensuring they're the best quality I can produce. Um, who knows, maybe I continue to do that, just specialize in making noodles and that's where it stops and just, you know, do pop-ups, making my own ramen on the side. Um, but it's hard to say, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think naturally people go from pop-up to then own it or to wanting to own a restaurant and manage the restaurant. Um, but there's just a whole breadth of experience that you need to have to manage and run a restaurant um, that people don't realize going into ramen. It's not necessarily about making ramen. It's about the other, you know, 60% of your time, which isn't service. It's, you know, just working with my sensei Jake and seeing like, you know, his day to day. Um, It's very stressful. It's a lot of time. It's a huge time commitment, you know? So I'm sorry, I read Elvin's comment in the chat and it made me laugh out loud, literally. Chimamoto. Chimamoto Noodle Company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really similar to Chimamoto. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Chiyota, you want to open up a ramen company with me, man? Sure, you can make the yeah. ramen, I'll make the noodles. See, that's the thing, I got, man. I, like, ramen. I, I really think, like, when we talk about it, I talk about it Mike kind of a lot, like, the economics of running a ramen shop in America is pretty brutal because... You're competing yeah. at the same price point as things like, like I'm going to bring it up again, burgers, you know, like a craft <laughs> burger is around 15 bucks too. And, you know, and it literally the, 
what you need to do to prep for that compared to ramen is like yeah. the yeah, amount of exactly. energy that's required for ramen is like it's a rough go and you know you're limited by your stock and your quantity of your stock and so i, I really feel like you you kind of have to have almost like something else that's generating revenue that can use to fund the passion project of making the ramen yeah. almost yeah in some way like, where you can balance that yeah i think like most ramen shops they're like more they're bars slash ramen shops like where people it's like a social place where people can pay for drinks and hang out and yeah. whatnot and then also get ramen there as well like ramen's not necessarily like the main attraction yeah. um so i think like that's a possibility mm-hmm. and then yeah because it's diff- it's like japanese ramen food culture and like food culture and the restaurant culture in the United States is so uh, different that yeah. it's really hard to run a ramen restaurant in the States where, um, you know, or, and again, like we're trying to mirror ourselves after like a lot of Japanese restaurants and that people pay up front. There's one bowl, um, you know, there are lines, but they move quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we are kind of emulating that, but for the larger ramen industry or for, uh, or sorry, for larger like ramen shops in the restaurant industry, it's not like a model that works um, for most people. And so it's about like adapting, I guess, for those restaurants to mm-hmm. the needs of like uh, needs of customers, but there are certainly ways to get around it probably by, um, you know, by whether yeah. offering drink and like beer and ramen or whatever it might be. But um, that was one of the cool things about like joining neighborhoods so early on since like their grand opening. And even like before the shop was like, like open up the doors or even the dining room was like finished. It was like, I got to see maybe not the entire process, but I'm, I'm around so much. And I was there from like such an early start of their business that I saw a lot of stuff that I was like, okay, this is like what it's going to take. These are the things that I need to remember in order to like be successful and like opening up a shop. If I ever choose to do that one day. Yeah. I feel like Jesse guys are doing it pretty well like you know like they're they're like a legit ramen shop not trying to be like a shop that serves ramen you know like I yeah feel like they're there i think they're it's it's relatively rare i feel i mean there are other places but you know it's it's it still is r- rather rare in america for that to be you know doing well i feel um yeah, it's hard know. it's hard but like yeah it's fun yeah it's fun and you just a lot of hard work but i mean when you're when you're into it like when you're really into like what you're doing like work shouldn't feel too much like work anything (laughs) like you but like at the same time you're exhausted at the end of the day but then you're like fired up again the next day and just like all right here we go again yeah Yeah, it's it's a balance like of not creating a monster you have to feed like a lot of times passion projects can turn into that like you love it so you start doing it and then once you have to do it. It becomes something that once, once it, you make a transition from you love doing it to you have to do it is when a lot of people get into trouble. I've seen just because mm-hmm. I'm old and I've seen that a lot of, with a lot of people. That's the balance of always like never getting to the point where it becomes something you have to do rather than you want to do. Like that's yeah. the trickiest part about it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes, comes down to like not doing the things, figuring out how to put yourself, put systems in place where you're not doing the things you don't want to do. Like if you don't want to do the accounting, you got to get people to do that for you that you can trust. That's not going to screw you over because that happens all the time too. And yeah, if you want to do these things. You got to be okay with letting other people take care of that. So yeah, 
It's pretty yeah. intense because like Chioda was saying too, like he wasn't just a dishwasher. He was a host. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but like a lot of, like you were like the dishwasher, the host, the expo, the food runner and the server all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're wearing like five to six different hats in one shift. And so, I mean, like the dishwasher is like so many different roles as well within it's like within itself. Like you're not just washing dishes, you're sweeping, you're mopping, you're taking out the trash, you're cleaning. Like it's all of these different things and it's, not easy so it's like get your sh- get your foot in the door stage at a place see if you really want to do this and if if it's not for you at least you gave it a shot don't just discredit it if you've never even like stepped foot in the door all right tomo no ramen is asking what's your comfort style the style that you keep going back to for both of you um, show you yeah i was gonna say show you like that's what i that's what i've been more or less like focusing on for since I've been making ramen. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's generally where I kind of land. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know. It just makes me feel so happy whenever like I, I drink the broth or like show you is also used a lot in like my family's cuisine as well because like my, my parents are from Guam. Um, and so they like, have a lot of Japanese influence, Korean influence, Spanish influence, but like we use a lot of soy sauce in like our, our like dishes that was like sort of Islander, but then also like influence from a different culture as well. So <laughs> I always thought you're Filipino, but you're Chamorro. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh. Chamorro. And so like, uh, I definitely want to make like a ramen side mm-hmm. note, like that's based off of like one of our like barbecue marinades for like the, for the spare ribs. Yeah, yeah. I want to like make a like show you ramen based off of like the marinade. I think it has like ketchup in it. So <laughs> yeah. <technique, huh? laughs> Probably use dried tomatoes, not ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Eric? What's your? Oh, you said sh- show you too. Like, how do you? How do you guys? What is your guys show you soups that you guys? The the soup that you normally use for your show you is it like just chicken? Is it like mizudori ke where it's like show you chicken? Chicken oil. We lost him. Oh. Um, or, is it, or is it basically like a more chuka soba style where you're doing like pork bones, chicken bones? Like, what are you guys doing? What What's your basic, like, give me the top, top level overview of the components in it for the soup and what kind of aroma oil are you doing? And then what kind of hits are you doing in the tate? Are you keeping it simple or are you putting umami components, aromatics in there? Like, Yeah. For the soup that I really liked um, when I was like making that chuka soba, um, that I was just like, I did a little dance after I was like, Ooh, this is, this is <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like you get that dance where you're just like, Oh man, this is, this is the hit. Uh, it was the, um, yeah, I basically did pork and chicken, right? I use like some of the, the pork water, like in your recipes that you've done before. Uh, but, uh, the thing about it though, is I also use like dashi because we'll do like a, we'll do like a chicken and dashi broth over it. So it's a double soup over at neighborhood. So incorporating some of that as well. Um, but like chicken, the, like the pork water, you know, like the, the thing that you cook your trashu in, like that's super valuable. Yeah. And, and like throwing that away or like not utilizing that is kind of a waste in my opinion. Like it has so much like potential to like do, do more, but like also just like, uh, I think I threw in that day. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I threw in like the kombu and I just like never really took it out. Yeah. But yeah. I just never took out the kombu. I just like left the naboshi in there for like a minute and whatnot. 
and it was just like such a freeing experience. But then the tare, uh, just like simple, simple stuff, you know, like just brown sugar, like ramen. I I think I used ramen lord's recipe for the tare, which was just like the shoyu, like a blend of different shoyus, the brown sugar, um, like naboshi, like two or three shiitake mushrooms, and a little bit of naboshi, like. And then for the aroma oil, it was just like sometimes aroma oil can just be like either like Nimboshi oil or it could just be like chicken fat, just straight up chicken fat. And or like I don't I don't use pork lard. I think I've used pork lard before, but like it can get a little too rich for my palate. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like just chicken fat is like really nice as well. Uh, but like the the chicken fat at the bottom and the top. Uh, the double of the chicken. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. that's a what you call it, like a toy box method. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, I I like gravitate towards just a hundred percent chicken based soups. I mean, I've experimented with, uh, like, I mean, I made a duck shoyu, which included um, parts of, I mean, chicken bones as well, and then I've also made like um, chicken soups that also included um, pork bones, but I end up, honestly, it's funny because when I was first making ramen, I was so concerned with, um, like, I had so many ingredients that I was adding to all my bowls, but over time, I've actually been subtracting a lot of the things that I've added, and so, like, my chicken soup is very, very uh, straightforward. I mean, I use chicken backs. I use, um, I usually use the whole carcass minus the breasts, which I reserve to make chashu, Um, and then I... You know, and then for, in terms of like aromatics, I like the flavor of ginger. I like, um, I like kind of like garlicky notes. So like I'll add those, a little bit of green onions, keep it pretty generic. And then um, like the tare, I like the smokiness of katsuo. So I like my tares are more katsuo forward, I would say. Um, and in terms of aroma oil, um, I mean, a lot of people have been like, are on the Nebo, like people really like Nebo oil. Um, so I've been experimenting a little bit with the fishiness of Nebo. I think if you add it to your soup, sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like it can be really strong. Um, so I generally reserve the Nebo for the aroma oil. Um, but there are some bowls where I just want, I like the, the chicken oil on its own. I feel like there's just something nice about just a totally like uh, vanilla chicken oil, just eating it on its own. I think it has its own um, quality yeah. to it, or it's like beauty to it, which I like, or flavor to it that I like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's mostly chicken-based soup with some aromatics. And the tare, um, I more or less keep the same um, across all the different shoyu bowls that I make, but it's more like smoky, katsuo heavy. I also don't put a lot of toppings on my bowls nowadays. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tried to before where I was like, oh, I gotta have menmo, I gotta have yeah. an egg, I gotta have like the nori and whatnot. Dude, like I just make bowls and I just like neg- sometimes just scallions. Yeah. Just yeah. scallions and like chashu. And, like I don't I don't care about the rest really, but like because those are just like additional things later on. The scallions for like the aroma and the chashu just for protein. And it's just like that's a meal. That's basically what I do too. Most of the time, if I'm just making for myself, it's sometimes just scallions. Sometimes mostly it's trashy scallions. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, it's always every single bowl I make, I'm trying to work on the soup primarily. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So if I don't need all that other stuff getting in the way of evaluating yeah. the soup itself. And sometimes yeah. like people will like be putting eggs into their bowls and it's just like, I just saw like some liquid go into like <laughs> from, from your egg that you're putting into your bowl. There's like that Ajitama liquid that just <laughs> completely messed up your broth, man. Yeah. 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 Also like another thing that I've made adjustments to is uh, I think, uh, do you, uh, do you Tato mention it on his uh, podcast? Was mm-hmm. the shield kado the yeah, yeah, idea yeah. that salt the sharp saltiness yeah. you get from the tare and um like a big adjustment that I've been making to my tare is um and it's actually something that I've a concept or like an, a technique that I've taken from the shop is uh reusing the mar the marinating uh, the marinade for like the chicken shashu or like whatever yeah. you're marinating um because it has a lot of flavor and it ultimately cuts down a little bit on like that saltiness or that sharp flavor in the tare. Right, and, right, right. So I think like the biggest, honestly, the biggest like SPT, I guess you could call it, is like the, is like the concept of like multi and which is like to not waste um, like what you're using because it has purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for anything that I'm making, I'm trying to like figure out how to reuse um, whatever it is that I'm making because it's, whether I'm marinating chicken or, um, you know, like making a chintan with bones, like they're still used for those things in the bowl. And so for my chintans, it's usually revolving around how can I reduce the waste of the bowl and reuse the elements that, um, you know, that I'm adding or getting the most, the maximal amount of, uh, of uh, taste out of what it is that I'm adding without, you know, yeah. Throwing a thousand so like making toy python and what uh, after you use like the first batch of bones. Yeah, yeah, do like a Nibon soup or whatever. Nibon, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was just about to test. I bought some stuff today to kind of test out this recipe for a chashu. That it's I was, the only reason I was going to do it is because there's a tare recipe that requires you to make chashu in this specific way. So I'm trying to figure out how to do it. Eric's gone for a little bit, but that's yeah, cool. yeah. We can keep going. So um. Let's see. We've got a lot of questions here. Uh, performance calisthenics. I'm just going to give a shout out. Uh, if you don't have an Instapot, what are stock cook times? I think we talked about that. It's usually like six hours. That, we talked about it. Yeah. Like Six hours is the, the general rule. We, six hours for chicken, eight to ten. Ramen Lord has a great book on the Ram, yeah. way of Ramen Discord. You know, it's pinned in our messages. Yeah. He has all the different cook times for, for stuff again, like that. But yeah. again, what we were talking about was it's more just you have to kind of learn the sensations of the smells and the look yeah. of when it's done but six to six hours for chicken eight hours ten hours for pork it's got to look and see that but yeah, try try out what works for you you know what i mean yeah. but like use you if you if it's your first time ever doing something though i mean like yeah. go by the rules and then like figure out okay if i if it was a little too strong at six hours maybe i'll reduce it down to five or something like that yeah exactly yeah confucius eats there's some of these questions i think they people didn't understand what we do because i think they're new and they don't understand you ask questions for the guests. So they're just asking me random questions. So I'm going to skip some of them. But uh, Confucius Eats was asking, when are you guys going to go to his shop to make ramen? I'm going to California in December, maybe. Oh, nice. Uh, me too, actually. <laughs> um, so there's actually a, oh. West Coast, there's a West Coast ramen meetup that's yep. apparently happening. And yep. um, yeah, so I've more or less committed to that. Um, oh, nice. Are you going to fly? I don't know. That's the thing. I have a drive. I have a car. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if uh, even with like my New York City 
driving tendencies. Like, I don't know if I'll, it'll, it'll take a long time for me to get there and back. I don't know. Yeah, I'm considering flying, but there's obviously a risk with that. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, but I'll make it yeah. out there some way or another. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, that's kind of, I, I, I wanted to go to that too, but I don't think I can go. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like ready to try out a lot of the people out on like the discords, like ramen. Yeah, I want to try like Jade's ramen, Echo's ramen, Nichi Joe, Elvin. Trying to see Elvin, Elvin's. DG, yeah. Ernie, like all of those guys. I want to try and hit them yeah. all of them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me three. All right, Sunny Bummers from uh, he's he's from uh, Black Dynasty. What's the next food related? Oh, he's talking. Is he talking to me or talking to you guys? What's the next food related challenge you're attempting? Food related challenge? Eating wise? Oh, eating wise, maybe. Yeah. In eating wise, so I told, I mean, 640 was my, I did 640 plus like around 100. So that's 740. I want to do a thousand grams pre pre (laughs) boiled with a, it's a, so there's mashi mashi and then there's this like, this, uh, it's called Chon uh, Chon Mo, Chon Morama, which is like Mount Fuji, uh-huh. which is like a cabbage bean sprout mountain with abud on it. So I want to do either that with a smaller amount of noodles, or I want to do a thousand grams of noodles. Um, we'll see. Or I mean, I have to eat more ramen to get to that point. But yeah, I eat a lot of cabbage. Drink yeah. a lot of water. Yeah. Oh man. A lot of fasting beforehand. <laughs> fasting. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know what ramen challenge I'm. I need. Yeah. I need to still do six forty, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll call out Black Dynasty since throwing it out there like that. <laughs> Nama Japan TV is asking, "What's the perfect way to order uh, J style ramen?" <laughs> There's not a J perfect. Style. The true. The true. Uh, the J. Yeah, the J style. Um, so there's no true way to order it because it varies depending on who you are to be honest but for me personally i i usually again do around 350 to 350 grams i do i like lean pork um when it's really good the lean pork is the best um i like a little bit of extra abura because the the, for those who don't know the abura is like seasoned pork fat that you ladle on top of the bowl and uh some of it will seep into the soup itself. And depending on how salty the soup is, I will uh, order more or less and, or I'll like eat the abode with the vegetables. If it, the soup is not, is like salty enough. If it's not salty, I'll flip the noodles and the cabbage and bean sprouts so that the fat will infuse itself within the soup. Um, so that's my general approach. But again, I don't think there's any like perfect way to order a bowl of judo i think it really depends on the person to be honest uh, and continually going and figuring out what it is that you like the perfect way to order judo would be to ask uh chiodo to go with you <laughs> to judo shop and then he, and then you ask him to order for you that's the perfect way to order judo <laughs> i mean the funny thing is like i haven't actually been to a proper judo ever in my life so that's oh. the cool thing about working at a a shop that try or that more or less resembles the style is that I've like only know this style through what I've like talked to like ramen guy Japan about um, or like other people and or like Nama or other people who like have been to Jiro shops in Japan. So it's funny because I don't know a lot about the style considering that 
I have a perspective that's totally separate yeah. from like in Japan. You know, you're gonna go to Japan and eat a eat at a jiro shop. And be like, this <laughs> sucks. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You gotta meet the host and be like, what is this? What is this? You're gonna bring out your MSG value. Enough MSG. Yeah, I bring my, I bring my own pork cap. Me on the plane, just, you know, slip it into the soup. Uh, no, I'll probably. I mean, we'll see. I mean, th- it's cool because there's such a range of soups and noodles that you can get. So I'm really excited. Honestly, I'm like it's going to be like going to, I don't know, like it's like birthright. Like I'm just going to go there and just, it's going to be great. I'm really excited. I'm yeah. We'll see when that happens. Hopefully within the next year or so or two years, I don't know. Mm-hmm. whenever they'll let me come in, honestly. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. It's for a lot of us. Whenever Japan allows us to go back into the country, yeah. like they, a lot of the ramen heads are planning to meet up. They're, they're yeah. letting Japanese tourists into Hawaii. And I think a lot of Japanese tourists are going to come to Hawaii. So I wonder if they'll return the favor and let Hawaii people go to Japan. Mm. So I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it, actually. All right. Ryan wants ramen is asking, um, what's the most important part of ramen to you or your favorite? I don't know if he's talking about components or... Just the thing that we like the most about ramen. Yeah. Like, or like, yeah, yeah. Like, what most important part of it, I guess. Most important part for me is just like the, uh, the, like the, I rom- I'm a romantic with ramen. So I, the most important thing is just like the culture behind it and the history behind it and like how it got to the popularity and to where it's at right now. That's the history behind ramen is probably the most important to me because yeah. it's, it's where the bowl came from and you like respect you know, tradition, but then also like elevated to the next level is something that I'm, I really like. Um, so mm. yeah, you know, like eating chukasoba and then making like a super refined show you and then drawing your style somewhere in the middle. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the coolest thing or the thing I appreciate the most about Ron <clears throat> is that it's sort of simultaneously an art and a science where um, like you're striving for this perfect bowl or something that you can enjoy. And um, like, I find myself relying partly on numbers to get there and, um, and then partly my experience. But I think it's cool because like, as I see more and more people making ramen, there are different approaches that people are taking, like doing really innovative things. And I don't know, I think it's cool that um, there's such a science behind making it. There's so many components that all have to work harmoniously together. Um, but then there's like an art side to it where you can dictate what flavors you're adding and like what kind of bowls that you're making. And I think that's like, I think that's really unique with ramen. I mean, I'm sure there are other cuisines and dishes that um, that are kind of a mixture of both probably. But um, I think with ramen, there's just, it's, a challenge because there's so many components and and there's so many ways to approach it you know and it's constantly yeah. evolving um so yeah and just posting posting your that's stuff what i think i appreciate the most about it is it's yeah. a continual challenge yeah I, I agree like i think for out of all the foods i think ramen is it has the greatest potential to let the chef express what they want to express because of the way that you need to put it together and it's all in one bowl so I don't I can't yeah. think of other, other foods that, that allows that kind of expression. Yeah. Although I, I'm sure Steph is yeah. gonna has other ideas. <laughs> I feel like too, like in terms of expression, like ramen is 
generally thought is like a really cheap, quick, easy meal. Yeah. But like the fact that there's such a, a range with with ramen, you know, like you have like bowls, like ET bowls or bowls that are more old school that are just, you know, like more, like are cheaper, just like, you know, they have their own time and place. But then they're like uh, Tsuta bowls that are Michelin star quality bowls, right? <laughs> Yeah. um that um use like truffles and whatnot so mm-hmm. i think it's cool that there's sort of a range and you can kind of fall wherever you want to within that range mm-hmm. but um yeah it's cool cool um so gains for harambe asks uh suggest one fundamental principle for making ramen for beginners what would it be that's a great question actually fundamental principle like, for beginners yeah like if a beginner comes to you like oh what one tip can you give me to start making ramen at home or that's a great question like what would that's I a say? really good question yeah. i mean hmm. for me i think it de- it depends on what your again what your priorities are like i think a lot of people getting the ramen they want to make the noodles and the noodles are like actually pretty tricky sometimes to get down pat i think focusing on tare and soup is um like preferred um like i think for me personally and for a lot of people i know who make ramen they like it because they jump around and they like to explore with different styles of ramen just to see where what is that they you know they enjoy cooking but if you truly want to progress within with ramen i think it's important to honestly pick a theme or a style or you know whether it be like a chicken based soup with a shoyu tare um or that be like a python with a shio tare. I think if you're truly try- wanting to improve yourself in ramen, you have to kind of pick one and and uh, continually evolve that recipe um, to figure out like what it is that you enjoy about the bowl. I think you pick up a lot of techniques and a lot of um, intuition by making something that it is you're familiar with. And so I think a lot of people have a tendency to sort of bounce around to different styles and while that's fun and I think it's cool to see different people's bowls, I think if you want to improve, it's important to nail the fundamentals with a bowl that you are constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. That's I'd my say my, my take on that would probably just be like, just eat a lot of ramen. Yeah, that's you know? uh, Kazel's advice is pretty, just, for a beginner, is pretty like valuable. It's, it was super valuable for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I went around to every place that said they were offering ramen on their menu in Philly. And I was just like, all right, well, this is what I have access to. And then I'll spend days like out in New York with the owners in New York where we'll just go around and we'll like eat ramen places out in New York. Or like we'll go to D.C. randomly just being like, hey, you want to go to D.C.? It's our day off. Like, let's go hit up Menya Hosaki. Mm-hmm. And just like going around eating ramen that's like outside of what you already know and then like going from there i guess and going to then what chiyoda talking about like then pick your style choose the one that you're like super into really refine that because it's going to be so overwhelming it like you think you, you you like scratch the surface with like reddit stuff or like ramen lord's book you scratch the surface and then you just go like you go so deep afterwards <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. It's so crazy, man. Like it could be so overwhelming and it could just turn a lot of people away. It's just like, nah, like I wasn't trying to go that deep. Like I was just trying to make like some, some ramen. Like 
I don't know, in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when like Ryan's videos come in. He's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, well, then stay right over here, you know? <laughs> and then when you're ready, we're here for you over here. Like, yeah. it's it's really intense. So, mm-hmm. you know, eat a lot of ramen and then choose from there, like, like one thing at a time to like really nail down and be patient with it. Be very, very patient with it because it's not going to all happen in like a week or two. You know, like this takes time to like kind of like refine your, it takes the repetitions on like cutting your scallions and like making your broths and stuff, figuring out what bones that you like more than others. Like don't always go off of like what, because of like one person's preference and they're like dogmatic about it. They're just saying like, no, that's disgusting. Like you shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. Like be open-minded to like also have your own judgment and being like, uh, like, yeah, this person may be right or wrong, but like, I don't know. So let me just try it out anyways. They might be pointing you in a, in like a different direction that you have no complete like, knowledge about. So trust your gut about stuff and, you know, um, like have, like take advantage of like cooking at home to, and having that freedom because, Basically, yeah. yeah. Basically do the opposite of what I did, which is <laughs> try a lot of different things and don't eat ramen a lot because you don't have access to it. If you, if you live in a place that you can eat good ramen, you should try to eat as much ramen as possible. Yeah. What I do you guys think about eating bad ramen too? You think that's yeah, that eat, valuable? Eat that, eat that too. Dead ass. Mm-hmm. Like eat that too, because you gain a better appreciation for the good ramen. Yeah. Yeah. As I mean, like, yeah, you're wasting stomach space and you're probably like wasting money, but I mean, it's like noodles and broth that they're putting together and calling it ramen to understand like, where where people's expectations are and where people's heads are at when it comes down to ramen mm-hmm. like you have an you have a reality of what ramen is in your own head but like if you're not eating what other people like just like walking like walking down the street or thinking about then you have no clue what they mm-hmm. think about when it comes down to ramen and that helped me out so much when i was like hosting and like like just talking to people about the ramen within philly at least they're like oh i like i like this shop better and I'm just like, that's great. Like, that shop's pretty good. Like, I've been to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks for being here, anyways. Like, I appreciate you. All right. I got a couple more questions. I, I think a lot of these are actually just <laughs> they're asking me questions. Um, soy tare plus miso. Is that even a thing? This is from Stan Serb. Take a, I'm take a quote from Owen. Do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Dude. You know, like, if it's if soy and like miso it's like your thing and you tried it out in a way that works for you like do it yeah because it that's that's where you start getting fired up again about stuff yeah and many like shio tares have uh some amount of shoyu in it so there aren't like strict rules around what to add it's just a matter and as like tim says what your preference may be yeah i feel like i feel like that's another big difference between us out out of japan looking at japan like the the word uh, akogare in japanese is like you're like admiring something from from distance like mm-hmm. we we admire the japanese things and what they're doing in japan but i feel like a lot of yeah. them are just like doing whatever they feel like works for them and what they think tastes good while we're like oh, shiotare needs a salt <laughs> and msg or not msg or you like know that. what a really good beginner tip is honestly what's that find ramen heads watch it and then oh the movie i thought you were talking yeah, about find, other people find that ramen has ramen. the movie yeah <laughs> find ramen has the movie watch it and then like gain an understanding of that stuff because holy 
like it, it just helps you out so much with like understanding perception of ramen and like an outside of uh, an American perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps you understand like the roots because dude, like when, once you watch that movie, like you'll even hear people in that movie, like talk about a lot of different stuff. Like, uh, um, I don't know, yeah. like ramen is just, it's supposed to be comfort food. And it's like, it's not this long standing tradition history, like of a thousand years. It's not a thousand years old. People will talk about it in the movie. Like it's, it's a blank canvas for chefs. It's a creative outlet. And so like, that's why nobody's going to tell you like, Oh, that ramen that you made, that's, that's wrong. And anybody who tells you like, you made this ramen and it's like, that's not like ramen. Well, like there were, there's no real image of like what ramen is supposed to be anyways. You know, it's something that was just modified to a Japanese palate in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So who, who's anyone to say that this is ramen, this isn't ramen. Sure. Yeah. That, that movie is an interesting thing too, because it really, it was like a, it's like a time capsule almost because that was the Tonkotsu Gyokai peak, I think the Tomitas when that movie came out and now Tokyo has kind of shifted into this Mizudori K. Oh, I mean, he yeah. has a guy from Tsuta in there, but um, it kind of is, it's kind of interesting just, but just to see like what you're talking about, like how it's evolved so much into this thing or this Kodawari thing. I don't think anybody, if you talk to someone in the fifties about ramen, they would have never said like, Oh yeah. In 70 years, you're going to be people. Oh, they'd probably be like, shh, don't talk about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. we're not, like it's not even legal right now. <laughs> like, that's, that's like another thing is like, it wasn't even legal at one point to be like, yeah. serving ramen. They're just making, they were just using up the excess wheat from America after yeah, the war. Black dynasty was like, it's the punk rock of like ramen. dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it, man. Like yeah. I, I love the idea of, that's why I kind of want to do all these things to support people trying to do pop-ups and stuff and just making ramen at home because I really feel like that's where Americans, um, the re- the ramen revolution in America is going to come from. It's going to come from like people like you guys and people, in, the toxic people in the chat right now. Like they're like, these people are so passionate about it and are making great ramen at home. And I think it's going to grow out of there. I don't think it's, I really, I mean, there's some great shops out there too. Don't get me wrong. And I think that's, that's pushing the culture forward. But I think the big wave is going to come from, when people that like you guys are ready to come at, go, hit the big stage and kind of go up. So I, that's, that's kind of yeah. why I'm doing all these things. Cause I, I really feel like this is the, the start of the swell almost and, and who knows how long it's going to take, but it's pretty cool. Right. Uh, Chiyoda's uh, going to make his own noodle company, huh? Yeah. And MSG company. MSG company. Yeah. Phil's going to have like his own like show company, you know, yep. and I'll have my, yeah. my Hawaiian Katsubushi company. And there uh, you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah, we'll all come together and Tim yeah. will run the <laughs> Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. Let's finish up here. Uh, Be the dishwasher. <laughs> I'll start off at dishwasher. I got to start. Nichi Joe Ramen's asking the same thing. What's your guys' long-term goals? And uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, this, I think that, this is a good question for, for you, Eric, because it's noodle making. What are the best sources of alkaline uh, which have what effect on the noodle dough? So what are you using for your, I mean, if it's shop secrets, don't need to say your ratios <laughs> or anything, but like what, what do you, general, general tips, G, GPTs, not secret pro tips, GPTs. So uh, it's an interesting question. So at the shop, it's so much of an SPT that I don't know and the chef doesn't know. <laughs> what the Kansui proportion is or what yeah. it is. Um, 
And so it's purely an experience of, again, using it so much that you kind of get, gain a baseline of what the effects on the dough are. Um, I mean, what you'll, in terms of tips for using uh, Kansui, um, again, Yamato has a lot of good resources on noodle making. And um, they talk about the differences between sodium carbonate and potassium carbonate, you know, generally with Sodium carbonate, you're using it for higher hydration noodles, and for uh, potassium bicarbonate, you're using it for lower hydration noodles and that are generally thinner. Um, again, those resources are out there, um, but honestly, it. I think like in terms of kansui, there's a lot that's misunderstood, not misunderstood, but that isn't understood about the effects that it has on noodles. Um, there's like a lot of research papers that I've written, or that not written, sorry, not written, but read on Kansui, on the impacts to like gluten development and the hydration, like resting times of noodles. And um, and there's a lot that's that's uh, not quite like understood about how it, it works, to be honest. But um, yeah, I generally use like at home with making noodles, I, base it off of my general understanding of Kansui of like of potassium the mix of potassium and sodium carbonate at the shop it's very different because that's actually one of the things that stays constant within the noodles is the Kansui percentage um, which is what you'll find with again a lot of um, similar shops in Japan um, they generally are higher or lower Kansui in their noodles um, so that actually remains constant that's not as much of a factor um, things like water, water temperature, um, those things make more of a difference day-to-day uh, -day in making noodles. So that's what I'd say. Cool. I think that's about it. We've got for about two and a half hours, so we can wrap it up here. Can you guys tell everybody where they can find you guys and also your shop so they can go visit you if they're in the area, if someone just happens to be listening to this? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at hella.ramen. Uh, and then check out Neighborhood Ramen out in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, and please like message us and definitely, definitely message me if you're trying to hang out in Philly. So I'm trying to get the neighborhood guys on too. I was talking to Jesse a long time ago, but Corona happened and then they got really busy because of that. So I'll get them on eventually too, because I, I like to pick his brain eventually. <laughs> they've been talking a lot about trying to get onto the podcast well. <laughs> they've been trying to get on the podcast i'm trying to get them on I, I'm, I'm so afraid to like ask people to come on anymore because i got shut down so many times i'm like kind of like gets tiring but uh yeah i mean look getting shut down is just part of it too yep, but, you know yep, I mean? it is you, you got to get shut down sometimes to get people like nakamura on the podcast so <laughs> yeah cool. what about you eric where, where can they find uh, you on instagram you and uh, find me at my nude pics on instagram not n-u-d-e-n-o-o-d uh on instagram on twitch and on only only fans as well i, uh, I have a pick on it on only fans as well if you're interested the only fans uh, one is n-u-d-e not n-o-o-d <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> no only fans is msg picks yeah and uh if you're in the boston area at any time go to email katare and just let me know that you're coming and yeah i'll be there Oh, oh, Steph is asking, where's her question? Let me look it up real quick. She didn't send it to the question thing. I forgot about it. She asked, um, can you teach me the secret pro techniques on how to play pool? Is it <laughs> a pool or something? That's a reference to me, I'm assuming. Um, 
We'll see. I guess once I come to the West Coast, Steph, we'll find out and put real money on the line. <laughs> Play some pool. Oh. All right, guys. Ryan, thanks thanks so for much. having us. Thanks yeah, for thinking about us in the shower, us. man. Yeah. No, this is a, this is a really fun one and a really good one, I think. And I think um, just having people that are, I guess, passionate about you guys on the show is really, really fun for me. I'm pretty inspired not to go make some ramen. So, hey. I think people else, anybody Free else, do this. Yeah. I mean, I might as well do it now while I'm not shooting too many videos. I think about getting some new cameras and stuff. You got the house to yourself right now, too, man. God, this house to yourself with the baby and the kid never lasts very long. It lasts maybe. <laughs> sure, two hours. You better pressure cook it then, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you can make an Iboshi ramen in 40 minutes. Yep, the Iboshi ramen. I ran out of Iboshi, but I got to go find another place to cook. <laughs> you got to go drive, drive, drive around the island again to go get some more Iboshi. Anyways, thanks, you guys. Uh, I'll, I'll close the recording here and we can keep talking a little bit. thanks again to tim and eric for coming on the show if you are in the philly or boston area please go check out the shops that these guys work at tim works at neighborhood ramen in philadelphia i think they're only doing takeout service at the moment because of covid but you can still swing by support the shop and pick up some awesome ramen eric is working at yume okatare a jiro inspired shop in cambridge massachusetts yume okatare by the way means talk about your dreams so if you're a dreamer and you've never had jiro style ramen go check that place out as well if you are on Instagram, you can find both of these guys there at hella.ramen and at mynudepics. I'll link up both of the accounts in the show notes. As always, you can find me on Instagram at wayoframen. If you like the show and would like to support it and get early access to these episodes um, and other live streaming things that I do, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash wayoframen. You can also check out the Way of Ramen shop for some high quality Japanese ingredients to make your own ramen at home at wayoframen.com slash shop. And if you want to watch my journey of learning how to make ramen on my own here in Hawaii, you can find me on YouTube. Just search Wave Ramen and I should show up. On the next episode of the Wave Ramen podcast, we have Professor Ken Albala, a food historian from the University of the Pacific, to talk about his time researching noodle soups. He wrote a book about it. Real interesting conversation about how our palates have changed with the industrialization of food. And he talks about his time on Japanese TV as well, making uh, katsuboshi there. It's pretty interesting. The video is pretty interesting too. Anyways, thank you guys all so much for listening and for all the support. I hope you're all staying safe and well, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Peace.